storygoers, and welcome back to the Tales of the Cartridge, the video game storytelling podcast. My name is Eric Penrod. I am one of your co-hosts. And I am Ryan Bauer, and I am your other co-host. Ryan, how are you? And uh, what have you been playing lately? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Um, enjoying another long weekend, and I've been playing a lot of Valhalla. I finished Valhalla. All the all Woo! the storylines finished those all up, so that was really fun and exciting and interesting. I'm excited to talk about that with um, all y'all as you guys finish and get to the end and what all that means for everything so that's exciting um i played a little bit of a a game called oxygen not included which is a game i kind of go back to every once in a while it's like a space management game where you have to like it's super granular in that you have to like balance the amount of oxygen in your base and like when people go to the bathroom you have to put that wastewater somewhere and like you're you're constantly like managing all this stuff nothing is ever lost so like when carbon dioxide builds up because your people breathe and it's it's really fun and it's like it's made by the people who made don't starve so it's kind of that art style that cartoony art style it's really Mm fun um so i've been playing a little bit of that we played some raft together with dave which has been so fun Uh, such a wonderful time building a big. I fished so raft. much. Yeah, <laughs> you sure did. You got all the food. You designed a beautiful boat. Thank you. I couldn't have done it without your constant gathering of supplies. Um, <laughs> and then um, last night I played some Crusader Kings three with Dave, um, who was joined mm-hmm. us on Assassin's Creed, which was fun. Kind of throwing him into the deep end of Crusader Kings and um, watching him try really hard and do a really good job, but ultimately succumb to the power of uh the large powers around him just kind of beat up on him so that was fun it was um (laughs) but how are you what have you been playing i'm good yeah i'm good i'm tired i went to bed a little too late working on the script um so i don't have a whole lot of sleep under my belt but i'm doing good regardless i drink a lot of coffee i'm feeling great um yeah for games i'm still on um spider-man miles morales i love it like it's 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 great i i i might be enjoying it maybe a little more than the actual spider-man game i don't know um, I have to replay it just, just to see. I still don't like Peter's new face. It's jarring every time I see it. His, his face comes up every time he calls Miles, and I just hate it. It's like a 10 year old's calling Miles, but he sounds like an, old, like an older dude, and it just makes no sense to me. I just just don't like it. I just, it's so weird. Um, but besides that point, Miles is a really cool character. I love the powers in the game. It's more uh, interesting, I think, because his powers are so much more wild than Peter's. Like, he just, Miles is way more much more cooler things to use in his arsenal which is cool um but yeah we also played rap like you said a lot of fun good times uh, and that's basically it it's all i've been i just been stuck on on spider-man I'm like make three-fourths of the way done i plan on trying to 100 percent it because it's like a you know smaller game so that's too not too bad but man this those challenges you have to like zip through the city and, and go through checkpoints and i just i'm garbage at it i'm so garbage at it it's <laughs> impossible i'll never be able to beat it so we will see I believe in you. You can do it. Thank you. Yeah, I can be the best Spider-Man. Or just turn the game off and play a new game and pretend I never <laughs> did it 100%. Both good either, either one. Either one. Um, <laughs> Storygoers, we hope that you enjoyed our January DLC episode. Um, it was a good one. I think yeah. really, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I reflected a lot on it and what we talked about. And it was just, it made me even more excited for the game in 2021. And uh, to see what happens there. Summertime's always going to be fun. In, you know, I think E3's kind of dead, or it looks like it's yeah. going to be dead, but it sounds like we're still going to get a lot of good game announcements. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens in that regard. But mm-hmm. anyway, I digress. Um, as always, Storygoers, you can tell us your thoughts, feelings, and perspectives, which we highly encourage, by emailing us at talesfromthecartridge at gmail.com. All of the E's in the email are threes. 
You can also DM us or comment on our post on Twitter and Instagram. Let us know what you think so we can read your thoughts, feelings, and perspectives on the show. And I want to say too, really quick, I want to give a big shout out to the storygoers, all the storygoers, obviously. Um, but just in this last month in, in December, we had the most international listeners I think we've ever had, which is really oh, cool. Wow. We That's had really cool. downloads in yeah, Germany and Canada and Mexico and Great Britain. Um, I think we had one in Sweden. It was great. It was awesome. And it just feels so cool to know that people outside of our country of the United States is are listening, which is like amazing. And of course, thank you to everyone in the United States as well. Um, we had uh, some downloads in Illinois, which I didn't know was actually a real place. Now That's we a know. Joke. <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't don't leave Stargoer, please. <laughs> if you're listening from Illinois, please don't leave us. It's just a joke. Um, but yeah, so uh, again, thank you, Stargoers, for listening. We always appreciate it. And we really want to read your thoughts, feelings, and perspectives. So do not be afraid to send them in. I, I promise you no one's going to think you're stupid. And if they do, they need to check themselves before they wreck themselves. Because we'll find them. Yeah, we we'll go to their house. Mm-hmm. No, we won't. We won't do that. <laughs> we'll think about it. Um, we'll think about it. We'll, we'll send a really uh, nice email um, that's going to be very just worded, you know, in one way. Hey, I know, we're going way too far in this joke. <laughs> <laughs> so today, we will be covering the game that you storygoers voted for in our polls on Twitter and Instagram. It was between Infamous and Batman, and everyone, not everyone, but the majority picked Infamous. So Infamous is the game we're covering today. Uh, it's a game near and dear to my heart, but we can go over the background stuff first. Uh, Ryan, do you want to go through the background stuff? Yeah, I'll go over the background stuff, yeah. Um, so this was released in May 26th of 2009. It was made by Sucker Punch Productions, um, who made Sly Cooper. And I think this was after the point in which they were kind of only working for Sony, right? They were only making Sony games at this point, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah I think, I from, think, so. I think, it, I think around 2000. Um, and it was published by Sony Entertainment. There you go, Sony Computer Entertainment. Um, written by um, William Harms. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of other writers too, but it was mostly just for uh, like pedestrian dialogue mm-hmm. there's like seven other writers but i didn't really want to put seven writers for the pedestrian dialogue. <laughs> not, not that to say that's not important it's all very important but um but yeah william harms was the main writer main writer yeah and i found uh, some really cool kind of influences and tidbits i mean obviously some things are really obvious um but we'll get to it was developed across three years a team of 60 people which is a, a pretty a pretty small team i, I like i think but yeah, yeah it was in 2009 where games were a little smaller um it and they were looking to kind of move away from that sly cooper because they did sly cooper for a really long time and i don't know about you sly cooper just wasn't my jam but some people really loved it um yeah. as the really great games it just it just wasn't for me um Same. it was obviously obviously influenced by superheroes and comics um big folks on origin stories um and writing a game that followed kind of a person who got their powers and a regular person who got their powers and how they grow and, and become kind of a, a bigger hero over time and you might know more about this than I do because you're, you're you've read more comics than I have. But um, the director Nate Fox stated that much of the inspiration was from two DC comic series, DMZ and Batman No Man's Land. Have you read those? I don't know what DMZ is. I was trying to think about the abbreviation as I was reading it. I don't DMZ. Oops, I spelled it wrong. DMZ. Um, no, I've never heard of DMZ. Actually, it looks a lot like Infamous. Though the artwork kind of looks like Infamous. Hmm. Um, but Batman No Man's Land is a good comic. Yes, I have read that one. Uh, it's been a long time, but I have read that, and I did like it. I like most Batman comics, but... Um, so, there's <laughs> not many I have not enjoyed, but... Um, yeah. I will say, though, uh, while we're on the note, uh, Storygoers, if you're looking for a good Batman comic to jump into that you've never read before, I would highly recommend Scott Snyder's and Greg Capullo's 
run on Batman. It is my favorite run on Batman ever. So there you go. Just so you know, some yeah. good some good tidbits. Um, <laughs> it, it, and I think the reason being, it sounds like both of these comics focus on a city after a large disaster. Is that right? Mm-hmm. At least for Batman, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And then it, it also takes kind of this grim superhero take on the genre, which also then Batman um, Batman Begins the the movie. I guess it's also a big inspiration, which is, uh, I don't know, those those 80s movies just hit very differently for me. Um, maybe oh, that begins as well. The, no, it's Nolan's. That's, that's oh, Nolan's the good, the, like yeah. the good ones. I mean, not the that the ones, 80s ones yeah. aren't good. No, it's very they're, different. they're not. <laughs> okay. No, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, so, so, yeah, okay, that's good. Yeah, because Batman Begins is yeah. the good ones. All right, cool. Um, <laughs> and then he also, his own kind of kind of interesting is his personal involvement in the seattle riots in 1989 also reflected kind of wow. hit that that kind of lawless place uh within the city that you kind of see at certain points in the game which is really cool um to reflect back on and also bringing it back like we've had pretty recently some interesting stuff going on in seattle um so that's really interesting um how that yeah kind of i was thinking the same thing yeah um, yeah. And then, obviously, as far as, like, game influences, Grand Theft Auto, Liberty City, Spider-Man 2, which I remember Spider-Man 2 being, like, Spider-Man games are always games you could, like, move through the cities, um, and I remember Spider-Man 2 being a pretty fun one, um, and, yeah. like, get random missions from people. And then something really cool that I kind of wish they would have leaned into, but I don't know if it worked, is um, they, they toyed the idea of making, like, an Animal Crossing version, uh, like, part of the game, where you, oh. as your alter ego of Cole, are a property manager, and you like go help deal with like people's problems. Um, so you have like the wow. superhero aspect where you're like saving the city, and then like the property manager aspect where you're like helping people who need homes and developing their needs and other things like that. But they dropped it after six months because just it's a lot of work, and, and it took away from that superhero aspect. But I thought that would have been such a cool, interesting um, idea. <laughs> That's crazy. I had no idea that that was even a thing they wanted to do. That's awesome. I I almost wish they had two, but um it would probably have been a much different game yeah (laughs) very different no regrets yeah yeah yeah. um but yeah eric what are your memories with infamous oh man i have such good memories of infamous so like infamous came out around the time so this was in 2009 uh actually you and i are both graduating from high school and uh i didn't have a playstation yet a playstation 3 yet which was killing me i remember like i wanted one so bad um but there was this whole thing going on at the time where it was uh, Infamous was coming out, and so was Prototype, which was another game. It was, it was almost like a, it was kind of superhero-y, but it was less like, it was more like an anti-hero kind of thing. Um, two very different games. Prototype is very kind of gory and, and bloody and messy superhero, whereas Infamous is more of a clean cut, but still, you know, good story. Um, both had different gameplays and stuff. So it was, a, it was a huge divide of like, I remember there was a huge thing going on online. It was like, what game will you play, Prototype or Infamous? You know, and I picked Prototype. And I picked wrong. I admit it. I picked wrong. Prototype did not end up being um, what I wanted it to be. But that summer after that, I saved enough, saved up enough money to buy a PlayStation 3. And I bought Infamous. It was my first game I bought on PlayStation 3. And I just remember going headfirst into that game. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Uh, it was just so good. I just loved the moral dilemmas that I kind of threw you into. And this is like before I really ever played a game that allowed me to make choices. Like I didn't really play Fallout 3 at the time and I didn't play, I don't know, I want to say like um, Fable or things like that. I just, they weren't my jams. But the infamous was like my first go around with picking like, do you want to make a good choice or a a bad choice? And I just loved it. 
Um, it was very clean cut and dry. It was very easy to understand which is the good choice and the bad choice. Um, except for one part of the game, which I don't want to jump into yet. One part of the game, I did make a mistake uh, and picked the wrong thing when I was trying to be good. And I realized I was being more selfish, which is interesting, but we'll get to that later. Uh, but overall, without going too far into it, Infamous is a great game. I love it. Um, I love the series. Uh, I just, I, I'm very afraid it's never coming back. <laughs> but Ryan, uh, what are your memories of Infamous? So I don't remember. Somebody let me borrow this game. It might have been you. It might have been somebody else. But I, I, it might have been me. Yeah. I think somebody because I never owned Infamous, but I remember playing it. I was like dog sitting at my aunt's house, and I just had the whole weekend. I think somebody let me borrow it. I think um, I don't know who. And I just remember sitting down and playing it and really loving that. Like you said, that kind of story piece. I I think like you am somebody who really always tries to do like the good options, and then maybe I'll go back and do the bad, but most likely not. I feel pretty satisfied with just doing that doing that good one but it it was really cool how they did it and i'd play other games like i'd played fallout where you got to make some choices but these felt really different they felt really almost philosophy philosophical they almost felt like um questions of philosophy right do you do you save one to to do the many or do you Mm -hmm. make something easier for yourself but it might make it harder for somebody else and these choices you're making felt really impactful and interesting in ways that other games hadn't done um, and just a- as a game, it's just always fun to be a, kind of a superhero and go around with superpowers and get stronger and stronger. That's just a really fun gameplay loop that I think carried over to the rest of the games. Um, yeah. Which hopefully we'll get to talk about someday because those are really fun as well. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I love Sucker Punch Studios. It's one of my favorite, or Sucker Punch Productions. It's one of my favorite uh, developers for games. I just think that, you know, if this one, two, Second Son I liked um, and Ghost I've loved are just, they're just great. I, again, like you said, I wasn't a Sly Cooper fan, so I wasn't. It, it, into that stuff um but as much as i love ghost i'm afraid that it's kind of like sunk infamous and it's not coming back in any way now because ghost is just so big and they sold so many copies of it which rightfully so they deserve it they deserve all the credit they did a great job with that game but i just feel like there's so much more they could do with infamous i feel like there's such a they, they made this big world through the games and there's even comic books too and like um to just to not pick that back up i think would be a travesty a travesty a travesty jeez It'd be a travesty. Um, and I'm still upset with Sony because they, they have not done a remaster of these games at all, of, of one and two at least. And But it's on PS Now, I think, or whatever that service, PlayStation offers, where you can play games online or download or whatever. Um, but we've had like, what? Like, like a few Uncharted, we had one for Last of Us, like I just, for remasters, I mean. So my point is this, I, I just, I feel like Infamous always gets the raw end of the deal a lot of times. I don't think it's as appreciated as I feel like it should be, but I think it's such a good game. I think it's just so much fun, so. I also remember Infamous being, like, one of the faces of Sony. Like, they were in that pantheon of, like, Cole was one of the characters who, obviously, like, Nintendo has, like, this really, you know, well-known cast of characters, and Xbox kind of does, and Sony was, I think, working towards making that with kind of Nathan Drake. Um, and I remember Cole being one of those people who, in the commercials or in the ads, he would be kind of the one of the faces of that experience. Yeah, yeah. I remember the, I don't know the exact title of it. There was that, like, Super Smash Brothers. Oh, that's right. But PlayStation Edition, yeah. <laughs> and there was Nathan, I think Nathan Drake was in it. But there was, like, Kratos, I think, too, mm-hmm, I think. Yeah. But but anyway, Cole was in it as well from Infamous 2. His Infamous 2 version was in it. Um, and I was like, man, see, this is great. Cole's becoming this major character like this is awesome um so to see that it hasn't really gone anywhere with that it kind of sucks 
<laughs> you know, but it is what it is. So yeah, um, that's so funny that that Smash Brothers game for PlayStation. <laughs> I remember thinking it looks pretty okay, um, yeah. but I think there's, they only made the one and they never they never went back yeah, to it again, which back. is sad. And then you see Smash now, it's just this powerhouse of <laughs> characters. Eating everybody up. And Cole would do great in Smash Brothers too. I think Cole would be fantastic. Bring the, there you go. All right, Sakurai. I called you coward last time. I'm pretty sure. Calling you coward again. <laughs> Hashtag Cole and Smash. <laughs> get it going, guys. Get it going, story goers. We'll get ten good, ten good uh, hashtags in, in Twitter and uh, put some pressure on them. <laughs> I think, 10, I think once like, you get past ten, they have to legally. I think that's oh, oh, is, that, is that true? Yeah, it's a Twitter yeah, law. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. All right. That makes sense. If Minecraft Steve can be in that game, come on. Mm-hmm. I still, I mean, it's not for me. I've never been a, a, a Minecraft. Nothing against it. Minecraft's cool. I just never, it's never been my thing. I just feel like it's so weird that he's in Smash. I don't know. That's just that's me. Very I mean, probably get a lot of heat for that. But <laughs> I don't okay. know. That's just me. So, um, but yeah, I, I will say this before we jump into the story. Um, we are doing, so in Infamous, you you have the choice of being the good guy or the bad guy, making the good choices or the bad choices. Um, I, I remember hearing Nate Fox say that, you know, the good runs are the are the the canon runs for this for this game. You know the 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 good route is the one that is is canon, and the bad route is just kind of more for fun to see what would happen if Cole was bad. So we did the the good run for this storytelling. So all the all the choices Cole makes are going to be the good ones. And uh, in the game, in Infamous, as you're going through, the big dialogue moments are basically Cole just reflecting on what is happening in front of him or what happens. And I didn't want to take that away from the game because we get. A lot of information from Cole, and it's not really like said if it's like after the fact that he's like reflecting on this or if he's reflecting on it in the moment because he has a lot of like random knowledge he somehow gains when telling you these things, but it's still like really interesting. So I kept it that way. So um, hopefully it's not jarring, but as we go through, I'm gonna like you know read up, you know, Cole reflects on what's happening in front of him, and then I, I'm gonna read what Cole says in the game in this script too. So does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That that yeah. feels like the the most genuine way to do it. I think. Yeah, I I tried to make it so it was um, not done by Cole and just done as a narration, but I just didn't feel right. I feel like I was kind of sacrilegious, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a poor choice to. Uh, maybe it's a poor word to use. <laughs> maybe sacrilegious <laughs> isn't the right word to use, but um, it just kind of went against what I felt like the game. It, it kind of went against like how cool Cole is and his like his perspective. So, and we're all about perspectives here. Mm-hmm. You should send us yours. <laughs> we're not desperate anyway <laughs> um but yeah so before we jump into it ryan do you have anything else you want to say before we go no i'm, ex- I'm excited to, to just to run through some infamous me too me too it's gonna make me sad when we go through infamous one and two and i just i want more so bad i don't know if we're gonna get it <laughs> <laughs> maybe 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 one day. You never know. You never know. I'm sure they're going to bring Uncharted back in some way, shape, or form. So if they can do that, they can bring sure back Infamous. Yeah. Tom Holland's not my Nathan Drake, by the way. Never <laughs> not my be. Nathan. Not, <laughs> not my Nathan. I think you'll just, no. you and nine other people, Eric, you could change it. I could, oh my God, you're right, Ryan. Maybe one of the nine. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess. I actually don't think they'll be too bad. Um, But sure. I'll, no? I'll, are you, are you supporting? Do you like it? I, I don't know if I like it, but I I'm I kind of want to see what it's going to look like in... in, in I don't know. We'll see. Um, he do- he certainly does not have any of the swagger um, or kind of like being an adult that Nathan Drake has. Um, but yeah. we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. It it just feels to me like a 
Sorry, we're going, this is an infamous episode we're talking about Uncharted. Like, but it just feels to we'll me like... Um, we'll cut it off, cut it off. You remember the Indiana Jones, like the kid version of Indiana Jones? Like I think it was like a TV show. It was like yeah, Indiana yeah. Jones as a kid. Mm-hmm. And then they had the movies and, and like how they were dressed to be like, you know, the movies were, were the movies. And the TV yeah. show is kind of like, meh, it was like a fun little thing. That's what it feels like to me is that this is like a, a little kiddie version of Nathan Drake. And it just yeah, feels weird. it's fair. And also like the stakes can't be as high if you're like a kid because like you can't like shoot Nazis if you're like a 12 year old boy you know what i mean um so like you should, and maybe should, no. you should everybody should. um don't 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 harm other people. don't i'll, I'll cut <laughs> <laughs> people um but yeah it, this maybe they'll do a good i don't know I, I don't know if i trust any movie studios anymore um so we'll yeah, see yeah. <laughs> we'll see yeah yeah i i shouldn't be so down on it i should give it a try um but there's a lot in that movie i'm just not yeah. normally psyched for like i i not a huge Mark Wahlberg fan either. No, I, I mean I don't. I don't mind him in like silly roles where he's not taking himself seriously. Yes, yes, but I like totally I, agree. I don't think I'm gonna enjoy him as set, as Solly, but who knows? No, in the other guys, he's fantastic. He's a great yeah, actor. Yeah, I mean, like, he's he, great. He does comedy. He's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like in like, well, actually, he was he was pretty good in The Departed too. But in other serious roles, I just can't take him serious. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. All right, enough of that. We're on to Infamous. <laughs> That'll be Damn. for our DLC episode next week. Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> we could certainly do one on movie video game stories. That would be fun. That actually would be a great idea. Yeah, we totally should. That, that's a great episode. That's a fantastic idea. All right, well then, without further ado, and no more talking about Uncharted and Mark Wahlberg, we will start the story of Infamous. <laughs> the story begins as the view of a typical city can be seen. Everything is peaceful as the citizens move throughout a typical day. Out of nowhere, everything goes dark and a large explosion goes off in the distance. A massive electrical sphere generates in place as falling debris smashes around the terrified citizens. The electrical sphere grows larger and larger, engulfing that part of the city completely. A mysterious voice monitoring the scene from an unknown location comments on an individual in the middle of the explosion. Activation plus six minutes. Pulse is 45. Respiration, 10. Looking good, Cole. Laying on the ground, covered in burns and lacerations, lies Cole McGrath. A simple bike messenger, Cole wakes up in confusion as to what happened. What the hell happened? Oh, God. Cole stands up and looks around. Destruction is all that shows before him. No other signs of life but himself. A helicopter notices Cole. Moves in closer before a voice comes over the loudspeaker. There's someone alive down there. Hey, if you can look, get out of there. Head for the bridge. Cole begins to move. Come on, Cole, move. Cole's hurt, but tries to limp to safety. He just wants to make it out alive. His clothing is ripped up, and he's bleeding from multiple places. He sports a shaved head. As he limps away, following the only path he can... Cars explode around him. Fires all around Cole try to stop him from moving forward. He hears a familiar ringtone and realizes he's getting a call from his best friend, Zeke. Cole! Cole! You there, man? Come on, pick up! Zeke? What the hell is going on? I think there was an explosion. No shit there was an explosion! TV says terrorists are blowing stuff up all the city! Meet me at Fairmont Bridge! We'll get Trish and find some place to hunker down. As Cole tries to move closer to safety, He passes a damaged power terminal. Electricity shoots out from it, electrifying Cole. He stands, the electrical current coursing through him. 
As the current stops, Cole continues to stand, unscathed. Ugh, what the hell? Should be dead. Oh man, what's happening to me? Cole continues to make his way through a destroyed parking garage, trying to make his way to safety. The helicopter again comments over the loudspeaker. If you're able to walk, please evacuate across the bridge to the Neon District. Remain calm. Emergency personnel are en route. As Cole makes it to the bridge, passing police officers in their parked police vehicles, he spots Zeke. Zeke stands on the other side of the bridge, waving to Cole. Cole, get over here, man. We gotta go. As Cole begins to try and cross the bridge, he's again electrified. Ugh! God, no, no! Large lightning bolts smash down from the sky, striking anyone or anything in their paths. Injured civilians and police officers are struck by the lightning, killing them instantly. The police cars are struck and explode. Oh no, it's the terrorists! Run for the bridge, Cole! Come on! Move it! Move your ass, Cole! This whole bridge is coming down! Cole runs desperately across the bridge. The lightning follows him and continues to cause destruction behind him, killing more police and those injured and unable to move. As he makes it across the bridge, Cole faints. His girlfriend Trish, who is waiting with Zeke, runs to Cole to help him. Cole? Cole reflects on what happens. While sliding into unconsciousness, I could somehow, I don't know, hear the voices of the dead. Thousands crushed by falling buildings or burned alive in the fires. Trish lost her sister. Almost lost me. Zeke was always there, somehow sure that I'd wake up. While outside, the city fell apart. A plague struck, followed by rioting, theft, rapes, civilization committing suicide. In a bullshit attempt to contain the biological threat, the federal government locked down all access in and out of the city. Now we're stuck in this cage with the psychos. Cops are all but gone off the streets, either dead or too chicken shit to stand against the gangs to now control things. Outside, things are bad. But inside, inside me, something was beginning. Scary as hell at first. Gotta understand there was no one to talk to, no experts to consult. But with time, I'm learning to control it, master it. Just hope it's not too late. It's day 14 of the quarantine in Empire City. Zeke and Cole are sitting on the roof of a building. Zeke organized a small apartment in the open air. Cole has spent the last several days learning to control his newfound powers of manipulating electricity. He looks to Zeke, who is reading a magazine on the couch. I thought you were going to watch TV. Batteries are dead again. You mind putting on the freak show? Sure. Glad it's good for something. Probably need to charge them all. TV's a hog. Cole uses his powers to charge the batteries that power the TV. That's what I'm talking about. Nice job, man. Boob tube's working. A massive cargo plane flies overhead over the quarantine city. Woohoo! Woo, you see that? Flying so low? Thought it was gonna crash into us. Hey, it's a TV jacker. I love this guy. A TV jacker, known as the Voice of Survival, comes on the TV saying that food has been dropped at Archer Square, but that the government has completely abandoned the people still alive in the city. Told you they dropped food. Man, you must be out of your mind. Thinking any of those pencil necks give a crap about us? This is a PR stunt. This isn't going to stop you from picking out, though, is it? Hell no, it ain't. Zeke's gotta eat. 
You take the stairs. I'll take the express elevator. Man, you get to have all the fun. Cole jumps off the roof and lands safely on the ground. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Zeke runs out of the building. He and Cole were just on top of moments before. Cole looks around and notices all the injured people littering the streets. Zeke begins to run off as Cole falls behind. Woo, that was a hell of a jump, man. Wish I could do something like that, running down those stairs. It sucks donkey balls. Hey, Cole, uh, before we head over to Archer, I need to go pick up a new six-shooter. Here we go. No, that was badass. Second you touch it, the electricity in your hands off the gunpowder, the whole thing goes kablam! The look on your face was priceless. Damn, you blew off my hand. Which is why I won't be touching the new one. Traded this guy one of my homemade batteries for it. The ones that explode when you use them? Hell, he doesn't know that. Come on. Told me he was going to leave the gun in the parking lot a few blocks from here. Hey, Cole, you know what I miss? Pizza. A big, sloppy slice dripping with grease and pepperoni. And payday. Having a big, fat water bills in your pockets. I'd settle for some hot water. Hey, remember that time we were coming home from Duffy's and I had to take a leak? And the bike cop was yelling at me to put my hands up? You pissed all over him. He told me to put my hands up. While he was fumbling around, I jumped back in and we take off. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Until he ran into a wall of cops. Like I said, awesome. Bummer we won't be able to do anything like that again. Not unless some genius invents a car that doesn't explode when I sit in it. Oh, come on. He told me he was going to leave it under a car. Figure they'd be only one. We'll never find it. Stand back. I got an idea. Cole puts his hands up and pushes forth a shock wave of electricity that pushes the parked cars away. One by one, Cole moves the parked cars until the package Zeke is looking for shows itself. Hellacious! Hell, I didn't know you could do something like that. Me neither. There was a surge. Hey, man, you don't look so hot. Cole looks pale and weak after using all the electricity stored in his body. Drained all of a sudden. Hang on a sec. He walks over to a power source and pulls the electricity from it, recharging himself. <laughs> Did you see that? Man, you're a walking battery. You must have to recharge whenever you fire off a bunch of juice. I can feel the electricity surging through me. Almost like I'm being healed by it. This rock's so hard. Come on, let's haul over to Archer Square. Before someone takes all the brewskis. Cole and Zeke continue forward to find the food that was dropped off by the government. A phone call comes through Cole's phone, resting on his backpack strap. He accepts the call and puts it on speaker. It's his girlfriend, Trish. Cole, uh, you there? Hey, babe. You hear they dropped some food? Yeah, Zeke and me are heading over there. How you feeling? Alright, I, I guess. Powers are all over the place. Used to be you could barely power a light bulb. Now I'm jumping off of buildings and frying the junk off Zeke's roof. You, you jumped off a building? What were you thinking? Relax, I'm fine. Just take it easy. After what happened with Amy, I, I couldn't. Yeah. See you guys at Archer Square. I love you. You too. Having reached the square, Cole and Zeke realize the food container is stuck on the massive monument at Archer Square. Ooh boy, that's stuck up there. I'd hate to say it, pal, but you're the only guy who'd live from a hall like that. Gotta climb up there and knock that stuff free. Cole agreed. He was the only person that could get the container. He loved parkour. He was very good at it. He made his way up the monument, and with a quick electric shock, the food containment fell to the people waiting below. Yeah, what are we eating? In the distance, Cole noticed them. He reflected on the situation. 
Damn, too late. That's when I caught my first sight. The Reapers. Before the blast, they were just a bunch of junkies dealing drugs. Now they own the Neon District, taking whatever they want. That changes today. The Reapers charged forward towards the food, their faces hidden in their red hoods. Their automatic rifles ready to fire. Cole brought his hands up and began to shoot electricity out of them. The Reapers fired back, but couldn't handle Cole's attacks. The Reapers fell and laid motionless on the ground. Dang, those freaks are brutal. There's more on the way. Cole looked at all the food containers and thought to himself. A lot of food here. Enough to feed the three of us for weeks, maybe longer. But if I fry a couple people in the crowd, the rest will run away. The food will be all ours. But some of these guys might starve. Cole looked at the starving people and kept his hands down. He knew hurting them and keeping all the food for himself wasn't right. He would hate himself for it. More importantly, Trish would hate him for it too. The hungry citizens ran to the food containers and rejoiced. It was the first food that they had had in quite a while. As Cole watched, his girlfriend Trish spotted him and ran up to him happily. Hey, Trish. I'm so glad you got the food down. Those poor people are starving. Just doing what I can. Someone had to help them. Those idiots dropped us canned prunes. Now who the hell would want to eat this crap? Cole, you're up on the big screen. A large electronic billboard came to life with the voice of reason coming on again. They showed an image of Cole taken from a security camera. The voice of reason stated that Cole was the one who set off the bomb, causing the chaos everyone was currently living through. It was his fault so many people had died. All the people looking at the monitor turned to look at Cole. Anger filled their eyes. Cole reflected to himself. Ever been called the terrorist? All I remember from that day is going to work, and I'm running for my life. That video, though. How'd I get that package? Why would I deliver a bomb? For who? Regardless, the consequences are everywhere. Whatever there had been between Trish and me was gone. She didn't say a word. No emotion. Nothing. Just walked away. By then, people were starting to recognize me. It was going to get ugly. Even Zeke was giving me weird looks. He and I made quick plans to meet up at Stampton Bridge. Try and get out of town. Just hope he shows. Because right now, I'm a little short on friends. The angry citizens begin to run at Cole, throwing rocks at him. He runs, the thrown rocks bouncing off his body. Damn it! I gave you the food! Leave me alone! Cole's phone rings at Zeke. Listen, man, I'm almost to the bridge. Since everyone here hates your guts, we gotta get out of town, pronto-like. I'll meet you there. And Zeke, thanks for watching my back. Ha, sure, man. I ain't about to do nothing that might piss you off. See ya. Cole meets Zeke at Stampton Bridge, with plans to leave the city. Riot cops guard the bridge with the intent of not letting anyone in or out. A large mob of protesters stand in front of the riot cops protesting their release. You have entered a restricted area. Lethal force may be used at any time. Please return to your homes. You will be notified when the quarantine has been lifted. Cole stands and watches as he thinks to himself. Gonna have to get past those riot cops if we want to get out of here. If I fry a couple of guards from the inside of the crowd, I bet I can trigger a riot. Help keep the heat off Zeke and me. Of course, that means a lot of innocent people will get the hell kicked out of them. Cole thinks things through and moves to the crowd and begins to fight the riot cops. After taking them down, Cole and Zeke lead the angry protesters through the bridge, taking down the riot cops trying to stop them. 
makeshift barricades are in place try to stop anyone from getting through the bridge. Cole and the rest of the people make it through the gates and continue through. Eat some hot lead. Those barricades will make good cover. Keep it up, brother. We got him on the run. This area is under strict quarantine. Indiscriminate lethal force will be used against all unauthorized personnel. This is your final warning. Hey, man. Head for the quarantine station. It's our ticket out of here. Cole opened the last gate to reveal a massive wall in front of them. Machine guns lined the wall and began to fire, mowing down the protesters. Cole reflected. The gate opened to a wall of razor wire and machine guns. Zeke made a break for it, smashed in the gate to the decontamination unit, and fell headlong to the harbor. I moved fast, faster than I knew I could. Cole ran from the bridge and jumped into an abandoned building nearby. It was not abandoned, however. Rather, it was a trap set for Cole. He was greeted by name. An FBI agent introduced herself as Moya. She had seen the footage of Cole at Ground Zero and went to Empire City to wait, betting that Cole would try to escape, knowing he had powers. She explained that before the blast, her husband John had been assigned to infiltrate the First Sons, a shabby group working on a project that they called the Race Sphere, a device designed to drain the neuroelectric energy from a group of people and concentrate it into one individual. She'd lost contact with John the night of the blast. Despite all her connections, Moya was losing her hope. Yet she'd found Cole, somehow believing he could be trusted and ready to make him an offer. If Cole went back to the city, found John and the race sphere, she'd get him out of the quarantine and clear his name. Despite the terrorist acts and the killing of cops, Cole is released. He descends to the bottom of the bridge and returns to the city. He gets a phone call. It's Moya. Because of the riot topside, this is the only way back into the city. Given the state of our new partnership, I've taken the liberty of cloning your phone's frequency. I've got a lock on your GPS locator, and I can hear every word you say. That's super. Don't forget who's holding your leash, Cole. You find John in the race sphere, and you're out of there, no questions asked. But if you double-cross me or do something stupid, I will throw you into a hole so deep you won't know which way is up. Got it? Yeah, got it. Cole makes his way across the bridge back to Empire City. He finds Zeke waiting for him. Reunited, the two go back to Zeke's rooftop hideout. And it drains neuroelectric energy. I knew it! All this stuff been saying. Every word is true. Government's in cahoots with a secret organization. Race fear. Damn. All makes sense now. Calm down. You're gonna hurt yourself. Race fear must dish out powers to anyone controlling it. You gotta bring it back here. Sure. I could use a sidekick. Oh, hell with that. Zeke Jedediah Dunbar's zone man. Your middle name is Jebediah? Yes, it is. After my grandfather. Strong man for his size. Uh, I don't know where Zeke comes from, but I'm certain... You need to take a nap. And a bath. I got things to do. Moya calls Cole, who gives him instructions. I've already got a couple of leads for you. The coordinates have been uploaded to your phone. Give me a call when you're in position. Cole crosses city rooftops until he makes it to the right place. Moya instructs him to find the satellite dishes and collect data on them. Cole collects the encrypted message, along with two others. She puts the messages together and lets Cole listen to it. I couldn't stop Kessler from detonating the race sphere. Damn thing took out five or six square blocks. Killed guys knows how many. Found the race sphere in the blast crater, next to some kid. Don't know if he was dead or not. Didn't have time to check. Gonna try and hold up somewhere. If anyone's even listening to these things, need immediate extraction. Please. Gotta get me out of here before Kessler finds me.
Do you understand any of that? I don't believe it. That's John. He must have used dead drops to communicate with his handlers. Um, English? It means that there's probably more of these scattered around the city. You should try to find as many as you can. They might tell us where he took the ray sphere. Find John in the ray sphere and I'm out, right? I know the deal, Cole. Just making sure. Cole leaves to do another task for Moya. While doing so, a reaper destroyed the power conduit, causing the power to go out in that part of the Neon District. Cole decides to travel to the sewer system and recharge the power substation with his powers and turn the power back on. As he finishes, Cole gets a call from Zeke. Hey man, you there? Yeah. Uh, Trish just stopped by and grabbed some of her stuff. She barely talked to me and, uh, when I brought you up, whew, she damn near blew a gasket. She thinks I killed her sister. Man, that ain't your fault. The package was a bomb. Hell, you're lucky to be alive. She needs to see things the way they are. Yeah, well, I'm not holding my breath. I'll call you later. Cole leaves the sewers and continues to follow Moya's orders. He helps civilians when they are in need, using his powers to drive back the Reapers. He learns new abilities, such as being able to heal the injured and sick, and being able to throw small electric bombs called shock grenades. As Cole clears out small parts of the Neon District, the Reapers begin to avoid going back to those parts, in fear of running back into Cole. After stopping the Reapers from messing with the city's water pipes, Moya calls Cole. Nice work, Cole. So I figured out why the Reapers are destroying the water pipes under the bridge. By isolating the city's water system, they can pump their plague into every home in the city. Anyone drinking that sludge will get sick. Or worse. Yeah, and it gets better. I'm getting reports that Smith Fountain is already polluted, and there are a lot of casualties. Head over there and confirm my intel. Then we'll figure out what we're going to do. Cole goes to Smith Fountain and finds several sick individuals. The water fountain is filled with a thick black tar substance. Knowing Trish is a medical nurse, Cole looks around to find her and is able to spot her helping one of the sick. He runs over to her. Come on, breathe, breathe. What are you doing here? Moya told me what's going on at the fountain. Who's Moya? Doesn't matter. Look, Trish, I know what that guy said about me. My sister's dead because of you. I swear, I didn't know what was in that package. I don't want to hear it. You want to help? Fine. You can start by closing that valve over there. It's, it's jammed and I can't turn it. That's how the black tar is getting in the fountain. Cole does so and begins to turn the valve closed until he's suddenly sprayed with a black liquid tar from the pipe. Ugh! It's all for your eyes. I need to get a solvent out of my car. Follow me. Cole walks to Trish to get the solvent. There's a ringing in his ears and the black veil blurring his sight. He hears a woman's voice begin to speak in his mind. I've been watching you, Cole. Waiting for this moment. Anticipating it. Who's doing this? She hates you. Loathes you. Your powers frighten her. She'll never love you. I can make you forget about her. Everything you shared, gone like a whisper. No more pain. No more heartache. You're not real. Cole falls to the ground as Trish runs to him, solvent in hand, and sprays his face. Hold still. Thanks. It's the only time I'm helping you, Cole. If you get that stuff on you again, you're going to have to just wait for it to wear off. Cole gets another call from Moya, who instructs him to turn off more valves. While doing so, Cole is accidentally sprayed again in the face by the black tar. Ugh, son of a... The woman's voice comes in his head again. I feel your broken heart, Cole. So much emotion bottled up with nowhere to go. Why do you love her? She's beneath you. 
You deserve better. Just shut up. You're all alone, you know. No one cares about you, not the girls, not the fat man on the roof, not the woman under the bridge. Only I love you. I've always loved you, Cole. Always and forever. For God's sakes, just get out. The black liquid's effects wear off. With one last valve to close, Cole contemplates how to shut it off. If I turn that valve, I'll get another blast of crud in my face. Probably screw me up, send me on another mind trip. Or maybe I'll force this guy to do it for me. Cole reflects, looking at a homeless person nearby. He thinks about it and knows the right answer. He walks to the valve and begins to shut it off as he gets sprayed yet again in the face. Ah! You won't be able to shut me out forever. Eventually a crack will appear and that crack will spread and grow larger and then the wall comes down. It's only a matter of time. And then that bastard will see what he lost. The black tar's effect wears off again, leaving Cole to ponder what the voice meant. Was it someone that he met before? He gets a call from Moya. Now that the valves are off, you need to figure out how these maniacs are getting that tar into the system. The only primary water line around here runs under Memorial Park. Head into the tunnel and look for it. Cole travels down into the tunnel and finds a truck pumping the black tar into the water pipes. He destroys the truck with his powers. What the hell is that stuff? Moya responds. Some kind of mind control agent. It appears to be organic, but I don't know how they're producing it. Ugh. Yeah, well. Sure did a number on me. I'm heading back to Zeke's. My head is killing me. Cole goes back to Zeke's hideout to rest. Zeke is adamant that the ray sphere should not be turned over to the government. Cole couldn't really care less. So we... So we just started the, the story. We've kind of gone through this whole thing. Cole has these powers. He was given this bomb. He's a bike messenger. It goes off in his possession. So now everyone believes he's the one that did it and has caused this whole mess. But he's trying to do the right thing. And he, even though he, he time and time again has seen that it backfires on him and he becomes a little bit like, uh, he was, he's, he's being put into bad situations. So, uh, so far, Ryan, what are you thinking of the story? I mean, so far, it's, it, it, it feels like a very, it feels like a, a superhero origin story, right? It feels like it has all those pieces where it characterizes powers and then dealing with what it's like to exist in a world with those powers. I think what's interesting about this story is he's not going back to kind of a normal life because that just isn't something that exists for any of these people, um, which makes it kind of interesting and different. Um, I, I think... Like I don't know if we've talked about I don't know if we talked about it yet, but Cole is kind of this character who we as a player can kind of decide who they are. And in this story that we're telling, we've kind of we've made the decision because that's the canon that he's going to kind of do the right thing. But he's so often yeah. faced with these choices to do the right thing or the wrong thing. And um, like you said, even though he's making the right choices, he's still being put in difficult situations. And I think it's also really interesting and kind of you can see that there's some of that. Um, kind of spider-man influence there that great power great responsibility stuff um yep, there yep. where you know if you have a lot of powers you have to you know you have to do things that aren't, aren't necessarily what you want to do and you sometimes are gonna have to take the heat for that which i think is really interesting i think zeke is a really interesting like everyman character who just is kind of that comic relief driving force with cole um i'll be really interested to see what happens with trish um mm -hmm. how that kind of develops over time and then um, I, that whole mind control thing, I don't remember that at all. So I'm really interested to see. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't remember that at all. So I'm really interested to see what that all means as far as 
who that is, what they mean by what they're saying, because I, I, I kind of have some idea of what's coming, but that's, I, I have no idea about that. But I really enjoy yeah, it so yeah. far. It's it's a really good kind of superhero origin story. Um, setting up Cole as this, this pretty interesting character. But what about you? Yeah, no, I think I think it's, um, I, I mean, I, I love Infamous. So I like the beginning of this. I think it sets up, like you said, a really good origin story. And I think the, the parallels to Spider-Man are, are very much apparent. Like when you said that, I, I, I instantly felt that. Because, you know, if Spider-Man had more of a, um, a weaker moral compass, uh, I can totally see him just doing whatever he wants to and, and you know, kind of um, being this person that puts other people in jeopardy to, like, stop. I say, like, he needs to stop the rhino. He just throws someone with the, in, that's in their car at him and, and kills them because he just doesn't care. That'd be a much different superhero. Or I don't know if you even can call him a superhero. Um, but, yeah, so uh, it's it's awesome. And I think that, Z, that Cole is this very, like, kind of... Um, I wouldn't say he's a flat character, but he's just this very easily uh, identifiable character because he's kind of so mundane, but he has very typical aspects that a lot of people go through. So he's going through this kind of like breakup, which a lot of people have gone through and can can relate with. Um, He's just kind of uh, just very normal. Like you don't really know a whole lot about him. And that seems to be okay because you kind of put yourself in in Cole's shoes and you can make these moral choices on his behalf, Um, which I think is really interesting. so yeah, so far I think it's awesome, and I'm very like you said I I, I know too much obviously they wrote the script for this, but um, the 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 woman in his head talking to him, it, it you know he seems like he has no idea who this person is, he doesn't recognize his voice. So why is she saying she loves him and is so so much affection for him is very strange. It's very off putting, I imagine. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that, what happens with that as we learn more about it. Um, I also just last minute throw in there that like. I really like that they give you the the good and the bad choice with the food. And then even though you mm-hmm. made the right choice, there's like a negative consequence to that. I really like that as kind of a story thing because it is because it so often in games where you're making choices, there's like a one to one. You make the right choice, you get rewarded in some way. Or in this, mm-hmm. like you made you made the right choice, but you still have to suffer a really big negative consequence, which I think is a really good and interesting kind of story beat. Yeah, for sure. Actually, and when you say that, I feel like that happens a lot. Like, even with this valve, he could have made this homeless person do the valve, and they would have been sprayed, and he would have been fine. Um, whereas when he does the right thing, he is sprayed, and then he actually has to, like, I think he fights off Reapers while he's listening to these voices, and it's all black and ver- blurry, and, like, he can't see very well, so it does become harder. That's what I think I like about this game so much, is that being a good person is much harder than if it is you are a bad person. When you're a bad person, being in the game is so much easier because you becomes you, you don't really have to care about who's around or hurting other people in the area or whatever. Um, whereas when you're a good person, you usually are kind of knocked back on your butt and and it's harder to stand up and, and keep going. Yeah, I, which I, is I, very much a hero story. Sorry. Yeah, I, I kind of wish that, you know, looking back to some of our other stories we covered, I wish Bioshock, Bioshock did more of this because in Bioshock, whether you make the good choice or the right choice, you get rewarded in some way and almost an equivalent amount, right? Yeah. Like yeah. long term, it's the same. You get more being a good guy than a bad guy. Um, I, 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 good and bad is kind of a, a too harsh of a word, but you know what I mean. Whether to you know, yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. To you know, kill the little sister and take her powers, or to save her, um, you you get you get rewarded either way. But I like in this that your reward is that you've made the right choice, but you have a consequence that comes to that. I think that feels much more true to life and much more of a yeah. kind of hero's journey. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, even think about, like, it's funny because Spider-Man 2 was an influence in this. Like, think about um, the Sam Raimi 
Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, he's always doing the right thing. But look at him. He's in a, he's always in a crappy apartment. Yeah. He's barely able to survive. He is like really struggling. And granted, those I don't feel like those movies really held up super well. But <laughs> the thing about it right now, it's really interesting that that's the route they took. Because I think that is like a lot of times that we see Peter Parker is doing quite well, right? He's he's well off. He's a lot of friends, superhero friends. Um, like he doesn't really have to worry too much about things. Like he could probably get money really easily from multiple people and like be okay. Um, but in the Sam Raimi ones, he doesn't have any of those those things. He, but when he does the right thing, it's usually to his detriment, which is very like you're saying, very true to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's day fifteen of the quarantine. When Cole wakes up, Moya gives him a call. She instructs him to turn the power back on in more parts of the Neon District. As he does, his powers will grow and evolve, making him stronger in the process. She continues on the phone. Good work, Cole. When you're ready, I've got a couple of things I'd like you to look into. One of them might lead us to John. She leads Cole to the train tracks. On the tracks, Cole sees a stationary train. Moya continues to talk to him. See that old train? The Reapers have some people locked up in it. Collateral to keep the people in the Neon District in line. More importantly, there's a chance John is locked in there. Want me to bust them out? No. You're in the heart of Reaper territory, and they'll kill anyone trying to escape. You need to move the train and get it to a safe location. How am I supposed to do that? Push? You're a living third rail, Cole. Stay in contact with the lead car, and it should move. Cole runs and jumps on top of the train, causing it to move forward. Cole runs and jumps on top of the train, powering it and causing it to move forward. As he does, he fights against the Reapers, who desperately try to stop him. They fail as Cole leads the train back to the station. As it arrives, the people come off the train, praising Cole and calling him a hero. He reflects on how he feels. The crowd was surprised to see the terrorists roll up and free their loved ones. Hypocrites. Yesterday they want my head on a platter. Now they act like I'm one of the family. Truth be told, it was nice. Even for that short time, to be treated like a hero felt good. I skinned the crowd for John as people started to leave the station. He was nowhere to be seen. Before going home, Cole finds more black liquid tar and informs Moya. She tells him that it must be coming from the water towers and to destroy them, which Cole does without much trouble. After destroying the last water tower on the roof, Cole notices a man in a white suit with a matching hood on another rooftop. In a flash, the man jumps the roof and stands in front of Cole. (sighs) She's going to be pretty pissed about this. Who the hell are you? Just a concerned citizen. Now hold still. He looked at me, his icy fingers digging into my head. For a moment, there was nothing. And they started to show me things. Horrible things. Beyond description. In that split second, I understood. He was showing me the future. Death and destruction on an unimaginable scale. As he released me, I knew that he was responsible for all of it. That he had opened Pandora's box. And that it wasn't ever going to close. And that damn race sphere was somehow involved. And then he was gone. With the man in white now gone, Cole stood alone and confused on the rooftop, thinking about what the mystery man showed him. A phone call comes to Cole's phone. It was Zeke. Get on back here, brother. Got some beverages chilling for you. On my way. 
I know we kind of just stopped, but I, I wanted to get your thoughts on on the man in white and kind of what you're seeing with or what you're thinking with this this idea of he sees horrible things in the future and he, he believes it's this man in white. What do you think of all that? Um, I mean, it's it, it again is is what we've seen in so many of these stories that are, are really kind of engaging. It's just kind of giving us more questions, giving us that telling us there's more going on here than we're aware of. And we don't have all the pieces because um, mm-hmm. we just see these images and Cole just sees these images. We don't have all the pieces, but he he knows that whoever this person is is somehow connected to it all, and so is that race fear. Um, so it, it, again, is just kind of setting up that there's there's something else going on here. Other than the, the John stuff, other than the quarantine, there's something larger that um, it seems like Cole is going to have to deal with, but we, we just don't know what that is yet. Yeah, yeah. I must feel like, I must feel like they, they took... A box of puzzle pieces just dumped them on a table, and now are just like, now all the puzzle pieces are out there, all everywhere and mismatching. We just don't know what to even like start because there's so much going on. There's John and the race, like you're saying. There's this man who is kind of bringing this destruction in some way, shape, or form. We still understand. There's that voice in the head, and it's just kind of everywhere. So I can imagine for Cole in this situation, I would be just like so confused as to what's even going on at this point. <laughs> Um, so one of the things that I thought was interesting is when you were on that train and saving those people and Cole was kind of reflecting, you can see them kind of leaning into that, that Batman Begins trilogy because there's that idea of, you know, these group of people, the people thought hate you because of what you did, but now they love you because they're helping them and how that is such an easy back and forth between being the hero and being somebody that they all hate and how easy it is to kind of move between those spaces that I think is, is some good foreshadowing. Um, and, and like some pretty cool themes that um, it sounds like they that I know that they explore in that Batman Begins trilogy. I'm interested if they explored in other comics as well. Yeah, yeah. And like, um, well, yeah, in some of the Batman comics you do, because like uh, he does turn into uh, the Joker that laughs, or the Batman that laughs, sorry, geez. But it's like a dark version of Bruce Wayne who's kind of like lost it and he uses guns and he kills instead of, instead of, instead of like putting Joker in jail, he'll kill him. And, and you know, so it's very interesting. Different, It's a different take for sure. Um, and something that we see in this game too, it's more of a gameplay thing. Um, is like if you can be a good person and then you can just go and kill multiple people and you can turn bad and get all the bad powers and then you can be good again and save people and go back to being good there's no like story element that's involved with like going back and forth and though that would be awesome if they can somehow figure that out if they ever did another game to make it really more like a lot more challenging to want to be good or be bad or you know but yeah there's definitely that element i mean there's even that element too like yeah. you're saying about batman begins yeah. um this made me think of it this this black tar that is, is making cole hear this woman's voice it sounds a lot like scarecrow toxin and batman begins is that part is that parallel again which is cool i never thought about that it's kind of cool so i think what we're getting at is that batman and Spider-Man are just the best superheroes like and I think Iron Man's garbage. <laughs> I do like Iron Man. I yeah. do like Iron Man. It's a running joke that I used to hate Iron Man because everyone else liked him more than Batman. Yeah. In high school. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was very fair. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. They all should just reinvest their wealth. It's all I'm Right. Saying. Yeah. They don't need that much money. Like, come on. Come on. No. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Jeez. Tax the rich. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Spider Man will be okay. He's, he's not rich. He's good. It'll work for him. The next day, Cole wakes up to a call from Moya. She tells him to go to the sewers to restart the last substation in that district. On his way over, Zeke calls Cole to discuss not allowing the government to have the race fear again, due to the power that it could give them. Cole enters the sewers and calls Moya. I've got some intel for you. 
The leader of the Reapers is a woman named Sasha. No last name. Until a few months ago, she was a high-ranking member of the First Sons, spearheaded a lot of their research. So you think she knows where John is? There's no way of knowing. But even if she doesn't, you'd have to take her out. It's the only way you'll be able to get a handle on the plague. I'll let you know when I've locked down her location. After restarting the substation, Cole receives a call from Trish, who asks him to secure medical supplies dropped by a cargo plane. Cole helps without question, despite Trish struggling on how she feels towards him. After Cole helps her, he tries to repair the bridge between the two of them. Need any help moving the other stuff? We got it. Uh, and Cole, uh, thanks for your help. This means we're talking again? We'll see. As Trish leaves, Moya calls Cole. Cole, I've pinned down Sasha's location. She's operating out of Jefferson Tunnel. Head to the location marked on your GPS, and I'll fill you in when you get there. Cole arrives at Jefferson Tunnel to find the entrance blocked. Moya comes on the phone again. Since the entrance is blocked, you're going to have to figure out a way to get down there. Your best bet is to head into the compound across the street and look for a way to open the gate. Cole begins to attack the Reaper's compound, using his newfound powers from restarting the substations. Shock grenades litter the feet of the Reaper soldiers, blowing them up and sending them flying. His precision ability to shoot electric shots from a great distance easily took them down, from the Reapers firing from afar. As Cole entered the tunnel to find Sasha, a familiar, creepy voice entered his head once again. Sweet, delicious Cole, coming home at last. I've been waiting for you, longing for you. Just shut up. As Cole continues into Jefferson Tunnel, he comes across a horrifying scene. He calls Moya. Ugh, Moya. I think I found where they're making the Reapers. Bunch of people down here locked in cages. Machines spraying the black tar all over them. Get them out of there and then deal with Sasha. My pleasure. As Cole frees the innocent, the voice comes in his head once again. You think I don't see her? The way you are parading around her like a common Jezebel? I see everything now, Kessler. All of it. Damn, what is your problem? The voice continues in Cole's head. Oh, you're a tricky bastard. Playing your games, thinking you're smarter than everyone else. You're gonna pay. Jumping down a large hole into the tunnel, Cole arrives at Sasha's lair. The gate, fortifying the entrance, goes up, allowing Cole access inside. In front of him, he can see her sitting on a makeshift throne, Sasha, leader of the Reapers. Darling, what took you? Was it traffic? I told you not to take the bridge. It's always backed up at night. Get dressed. We have dinner plans tonight. Of course I told you, silly man. Sasha wore nothing but a coat over her chest and a hood over her head. Multiple hose nozzles were embedded in her body to pump the black tar from her. The rest of her body was covered in a seemingly red tar, similar to its black counterpart, Cole, had seen many more times than he had wanted. As she stepped off her throne, she submerged herself into the black tar surrounding her lair. Cole jumped from broken debris platforms to avoid the tar and find Sasha. As he looked, she emerged from the tar behind Cole and grabbed him. As he struggled to fight her off, Sasha opened her mouth to reveal multiple tongues moving towards Cole's mouth. Continuing to struggle against her, Cole grabs one of the nozzles from her body and rips it out of her. Screaming in pain, Sasha disappears back into the tar. They're expecting us at seven. Of course it's formal wear. I laid out your tuxedo. And I made soup from the neighbor's bones. You want a taste? Reapers emerge from the tar and begin to fire at Cole. 
He uses his lightning bolt shots from his hands to subdue them. Sasha, from behind them, was struck several times and falls to the ground. Cole runs to Sasha and struggles with her as he removes yet another nozzle from her body. Screaming again, she disappears. Remember the weekend in Maine? We stayed in bed the entire time. And oh, how you whispered to me. The promises you made. Shut the hell up. Cole continues to shoot lightning bolts at more reapers and Sasha. Why, Kessler? Why do you love her? I'll kill her, I swear it. I'll wear her skin like a robe. Cole manages to pull another nozzle from Sasha's body. You don't know, do you? Of course not. How could you? But you'll find out soon enough. And oh, how you'll weep. The fighting continues against the superpowered individuals. Ugh, why don't you just die? Pulling the last of the four nozzles from Sasha's body, she falls to the ground, defeated. You'll never control it, Cole. Look at me. Look what it's done. It controls you. Cole looks down at Sasha and reflects on his thoughts and the situation that follows. Sasha was a piece of shit before the blast, but looking at her now, is this what my powers are going to do to me? A warped body and twisted mind? Is that my future? Either way, she knows all about the first sons and their race fear. If I'm going to dig myself out of this hole, it starts with her talking right now. An explosion against the wall of Sasha's lair sends debris flying everywhere and covers Cole. They came in fast, smoke everywhere. Sasha got pulled out. Whoever they were, they were pros, trained for this kind of thing. There was no time to think. Water was pouring in and the place was falling apart. With no way back, I went forward into the slums of the Warren. Making it out and into the Warren district, Moya calls Cole. Cole. What happened down there? Is Sasha dead? I wish. Beat the living hell out of her, but some guys in masks came and grabbed her. Brought the whole tunnel down. It was probably the first sons. If we're lucky, they'll take care of her for us. Yeah, that'd be swell. Listen, the power's out in this whole borough, and I've barely had the energy to walk. I'm gonna get the nearest substation back online. Zeke, pick up. Hey, brother. Where the hell you been? It's a long story. Wanted to let you know I'm over in the war and... The Warren? Damn, man, that place was Nightmare Central before the blast. Hate to see what it's like now. Hasn't got any better, that's for sure. I'll give you a call and I figure out how I'm going to get back home. Keep your nose to the wind, man. Cole makes his way into the sewers of the Warren district after fighting off soldiers wearing trash as armor. He receives another call from Moya. Hold some intel on the Warren. A couple of days after the blast, the homeless people living there banded together and seized control of the entire borough. They call themselves the Dustmen. Guess that explains why they're all wearing trash bags. I suspect that they're led by an extremely powerful conduit, so it'd be a big mistake to underestimate them. I get it. Cole jumps onto the substation and restarts the electricity. He gains the new power of static thrusters. They allow him to glide short distances in the air. Oh, hell yes. After restoring the power, Cole continues to help those in need and was even able to restore the power to a bridge between the Warren and Neon districts and successfully put it down, connecting the two. After finishing, Cole went back to Zeke's roof hideout. This superhero racket's great, man. Solving crimes, getting some loving from the ladies. I can get used to living like this. You're not actually a superhero, Zeke. Hell, I know that. But it doesn't change the fact that I've tasted the good life. Having these powers isn't exactly a walk in the park. Are you crazy? People around here worship you, man. 
Fat lot of good that's done me. Okay, so we're gonna take a quick break. Um, so Cole makes it back. He fought Sasha. She seems very infatuated with him, but then very angry with him. Uh, really hates Trish. So, so Ryan, what did you think of Sasha? Now that we know that the, she's the voice in Cole's head, she she's talking like she has this history with him. Um, what is, what are your thoughts on her? So I think she's a really interesting character. This this she um, she's a really interesting character. She seems to have, like you said, this history with Cole, and she keeps calling Cole something different, which I think is is something, right? Mm-hmm. She calls him Kessler, I think, um, and and referencing their history together which which for us doesn't make any sense but maybe there's something we don't know about cole mm-hmm. um and she's really jealous of of trish like you said um which again i think leads to the fact that maybe she has this love for cole or for some reason they have some kind of history together that we just don't know about um but her, her powers are really cool the the whole her getting captured by these people um if, if it is the first sons is a really interesting twist because we just don't know what happened to her um, so that was a cool way to kind of preserve her as a character. But again, it's it's just adding, it's, it's giving us a little bit of information. Like, okay, this voice in her head is this woman named Sasha who's been leading the Reapers, who's been fighting this whole time. That makes sense. But then what is all of this other nonsense that she's saying? What does it mean? Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's very cryptic. We're, playing, we're kind of, it's like we're playing, slowly just playing a little bit of puzzle pieces together. But it's very, it's very like slow. It's a very slow process. But yeah, um, I thought she was kind of cool. I love, I just love, She's just like lost her mind. I love that she's this kind of, she's this perspective for Cole to stop and think, oh my God, is this what I'm going to turn into? Is it, she's lost yeah, her mind. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Is, that how, is this really what I'm going to turn into if I keep growing my powers? And that would be a huge concern. If I was in Cole's shoes and I saw this and, and she's telling me this is going to be your fate, I'd be freaked out. I don't know if I would use my powers still. I feel like that would be, it'd be really scary because it's, again, like that Batman thing. You know, you, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And that's, and that's kind of what I'm seeing here. Like eventually, if, you know, it feels like if Cole keeps going, he can turn into this kind of crazy psycho superpowered person. So it's just interesting. I like, I like seeing that kind of different, there are two opposite ends of the spectrum right now, which is kind of interesting. I'm also really excited to see, um, there, there, you can kind of tell the, from the, you can tell kind of the story that they're. Now that we've we've dealt with the Neon District, now we're going to move to the next area. And there's another really powerful. With now meeting Sasha, I'm really interested to see who that other powerful. Um, what is what is um, what do you call them? The, the Warren District. Yeah, but what does she call the powered folks? Uh, oh, conduits. Yeah. Conduits. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. She says there's another conduit, which is um, I'm excited to see after meeting after seeing Sasha and seeing how they how she kind of helps add to Cole's story. I'm interested to see who this other conduit is. Yeah, and actually, I don't know if I missed it when I was writing the script, but yeah, just story goes in case you didn't know, um, the superpowered individuals in these stories and in Infamous are known as conduits. They are like, you know, they're conduits for these powers, and so that's their, that's what they go by as conduits. So yeah, Sasha is a conduit, Cole's a conduit, this mysterious man in the white is a conduit, um, and we'll see about the, the person that runs the Dustmen in the Warren. Um, so it's very, it's very interesting. It's, it's, they don't really expand on this in the game, I don't think. I think this is more from like side stuff, like conflicts and stuff. But like when Cole sets off the race sphere in the beginning of the game, he's not the only one that receives powers from that incident. Um, people with that gene, with the conduit gene in their DNA, there's not. It's a very rare gene. So not a lot of people have it. But those who do have it will survive the blast and be able to take in that the the, the energy life force from other people and then bring their powers out, which is the idea. So like. 
So before this, Sasha, I don't really understand if Sasha had powers or not before this, but it seems like after the blast, her powers became greater because of the race fear blast. And this is, isn't this, um, isn't there a couple different comics that, isn't this the internals in Marvel and Static Shock in DC? Isn't that a similar kind of story where like they have powers, they just have to be unlocked by some event? Yeah, they're like Terrigen something. They're like a special kind of like, they're not like mutants, but they kind of are like mutants. Yeah, they're and effectively... there's a special like, yeah, they're like a special, it's like a special gas that brings out their power. Like, I know Miss Marvel is the same thing. Oh, okay. And like, she has like special gas that, that changes her and, and she's like a, some part of this alien, like the immortals. Yeah. I don't know a whole lot about the immortals. I just know that Dark, or was it Black Bolt, just can't talk or else he destroys the yeah. universe or something, which would suck. <laughs> you got just stepping your toe and then you're just like, ow, boom. <laughs> the whole world's yeah. just destroyed. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's 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 interesting. I think the idea of this conduit thing is really cool. Um, and and as we go through the, stir, the other games too, the powers get kind of wild, more crazy and wild, which is really cool. But I like, I like that they chose electricity for coal. I don't know why they did, but I think it's a really cool choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has to be some kind of thing he's drawing from to make his powers work. So electricity is such a great idea because you're literally in this like basically a New York City type of thing. Empire City is like this kind of New York City inspired place. So electricity is everywhere. So why not? You know, that's probably that's probably where like, the idea came from. But yeah, day seventeen, Cole gets another call from Moya. Hey Moya, I'm making a run for the next substation. Its location is flagged in your GPS. I'm also tracking a couple new developments. I'll be in touch once the power is back on. After fixing another substation and finding off more armed people covered in trash armor, Cole calls Moya as he makes his way out of the sewers. I've been receiving reports of unauthorized drones patrolling the Warren. Since they are not ours, you should look into them. It also sounds like the Dustmen are planning a quarantine break. Alright. One other thing. Tell your friend Zeke to stop calling me. If he wants to play hero and track down leads, that's his business. I don't need to hear about it. Moya hangs up. Zeke, what the hell are you doing? Cole travels to the shipyard and finds it fortified with cargo containers. He walks up to it, and a voice comes out over the loudspeaker. You think you've come here doing what you please? Think again. We've got your fat friend, and we're going to kill him real slow. You idiots just made the biggest mistake of your lives. Finding a way inside, Cole fights against multiple dustmen. The voice over the intercom shouts out yet again. This is my island, my home. You know how long I've waited for this. No one, no one will stop me. Just keep on blathering. You'll get yours. Moya comes over Cole's phone. Cole, your GPS says that you're at the shipyards. What are you doing? Killing the bastards that kidnapped Zeke. It's his own fault. You can't run out and rescue him every time he gets into trouble. I don't abandon my friends. Cole defeats all the dustmen in his way and is able to get to the top of the crane, holding Zeke. Using the controls, he lets Zeke down to the streets below and unlocks the cage. Woo! There was close and then there was that. What the hell were you doing down here? Just trying to help out, man. Wanted to sneak in and see what the trash baggers were up to. Are you insane? You're lucky they didn't kill you. What are you saying? Little Zeke needs to go back to his roof and just chill. He's only good for a laugh and a beer. But when it's go time, he ain't worth a damn. That what you're saying, Cole? This isn't a game, Zeke. Not anymore. Just because you got powers doesn't make you better than everyone else. Not by a long shot. 
Without saying anything else, Zeke turns and walks away. Cole wonders if he just lost the only friend he had left. Before too long, Cole's phone rings. It's Moya. Cole sighs. We just caught a big break. One of the UAVs patrolling the war has crashed. Recover its flight recorder and I'll figure out who's controlling them. Finding the destroyed UAV, Cole calls Moya. Alright, I found it. Use your phone and send me the contents of the flight recorder. Just what I thought. The First Sons are using drones to search for the race sphere. They've narrowed their search to this area. They know anything we don't. No, but we can't take any chances. Find the other drones in the area, shoot them down, and collect their flight recorders. And Cole? That UAV was programmed to self-destruct if it crashes. Don't know why it didn't, but the others might. Once you shoot them down, we have to get to them right away. While searching for more of these First Sons UAVs, an unfamiliar call comes to Cole's phone. He answers it. It's Kessler, leader of the First Sons. The same mysterious man who showed Cole the images of an apocalyptic future. I want you to listen to something, Cole. A familiar voice comes onto the phone. The voice belonged to Sasha. Please, no more. I'll do anything you want. Real tough guy, aren't you? Kessler laughs. On the contrary, I'm weak. Quite weak, in fact. Which is why you need to learn this lesson and learn it well. Everyone has their breaking point. You, me, even dear sweet Sasha. What separates the strong from the weak is the ability to take the beating. Hell, to love the beating. No matter how great the pain, never wavering from what needs to be done. Think you can remember that? Cole has enough of him. Screw you. After collecting the data from three UAVs, Cole sends it to Moya. She tells Cole that she will update him about what the data says later. After helping her, Cole gives Trish a call. Hey, Trish, how's the hospital looking? The outside is pretty trashed, uh, but the inside is surprisingly in good shape. I've already moved a couple busloads of people over there. Right on. I'm thinking we should sit down and talk sometime, figure out what happens once all this is over. Sure, whatever you want. I'll talk to you later. While continuing to help Moya, Trish calls Cole on his phone. Cole, I've got the last of my goer loaded into the bus. The Reapers are blocking the way to the hospital. I need your help getting past them. Maybe once we get over there, we can sit down and have that talk? Uh, we'll see. I've got a lot of sick people that need help. They come first, Cole. Trish hangs up. Of course they do. As Cole runs to help Trish, Kessler calls him again. I've been keeping an eye on you, Cole. Watching you parade around like a damn peacock. Showing off every chance you get. Pathetic. That's real tough talk from a guy that tortures people. You don't get it, do you? You don't get any second chances. Every time you fail, someone's world ends. Even in the worst ways imaginable. I learned it the hard way. And by God, you're going to learn it too. One way or another. I'll tell you what. Crawl out of your hole and meet me somewhere. Then we'll settle this once and for all. All in good time, Cole. All in good time. Cole stops the call. Seconds later, Zeke calls him. Cole wonders if he can ever stop talking to people on the phone. Hey, brother. Service to prick back at the shipyards. Uh, really screwed the pooch on that one. I know you mean well, Zeke, but the world is changing. You make a mistake now, and you're as good as dead. Hell, I know that, but you know how it's been for me. No family, broke all the damn time. When quarantine went up, I thought I'd get a fresh start. 
Now let me be something. I know where you're coming from, Zeke. But we have to be careful now, all of us. Finally making it back to the Neon District, Cole runs up to Trish, ready to help. Reapers attacked me on my last trip. Must think I'm working with the Dustmen or something. There's no way I'll make it back to the hospital on my own. I'll take care of them. I had Roger rig up the roof for the bus with a metal mesh. And a generator will keep it electrified. That should provide you with a non-stop source of energy for you. Wow, that's really smart. They don't let dumbasses into med school, Cole. Once you're up on top, we'll head out. If you need to jump down, I'll stop the bus and wait for you. Trish gets on the bus and Cole climbs on top of the roof. The bus begins to move. The Reapers start to run out of the alleyways firing assault rifles and RPGs at the bus. With the top of the bus electrified, Cole rains down lightning bolts onto the fearless Reaper soldiers. Using his newest power, the Megawatt Hammer, Cole sends out massive bolts of electricity at any evildoer who opposed him. As the bus crossed the bridge from the Neon District into the Warren District, Cole stopped fighting the Reapers and began to fight against the Dustmen instead. Moya called Cole in the middle of the fighting. I've got my hands on the picture of the Dustmen's leader. No ID yet, but I'm going to run it through NGI. I'll update you when I have a name. Cole was too busy to respond. After constant fighting, the bus finally makes it to the hospital. On top of the hospital roof, Cole sees an elderly man standing next to a Dustman soldier. The elderly man was dressed in metal trash. A makeshift brace was attached to his left leg, with a cane in his left hand for support. Metal fixtures were bolted to the elderly man's head, where an old scar had settled. Moya calls Cole again to give him news. Cole, I had the results in the photo analysis. It's Alden Tate, the son of Richard Tate. You paying attention? I've got a lot of ground to cover, and this is important. The dustman next to the elderly man lifts a rocket launcher onto his shoulder and fires it off to the bus. It lands right in front of Cole, sending him backwards and onto the ground. Ugh, I was transfixed. Moya kept talking while I was watching this man, this old, grizzled man, lift up bus with his mind. The elderly man lifts the bus that Trish and the hospital patients are sitting in, off the ground and into the air. It lands on top of the hospital roof. I'm strong, but nowhere near that powerful. Alden was born to the leader of the First Sons. As a powerful mentalist, he was groomed from an early age to assume control. That is, until Kessler showed up. Alden disappeared into the streets, growing up scared and homeless. But there's no fear in those eyes now. No. The blast has made him powerful, gave him the tools to combat his paranoia. With a flick of his wrist, he threw the bus on top of the hospital. With Trish still inside that thing, I had to act fast. Not that I could do anything to Alden. He was already gone. Cole calls Trish on his phone. Hang on, Trish, I'm coming. Cole says to himself as he runs to the hospital. He begins to fight the dustmen stationed at the hospital. Bolts fly as he and the dustmen face off. You just signed your death warrants. Think you guys would eventually learn. Cole quickly climbs onto the roof of the hospital where the bus is landed. He makes his way to the bus and spots Trish covered by two dustmen. Cole quickly zaps them away from her and subdues them. Are you alright? The bus threw me up here. The only thing going through my mind was you and, and how things stand between us. I never let anything happen to you, Trish. I know you didn't mean to kill Amy, Cole. You've been trying to make things right, and I need to stop being angry at you. It's, It's been hard for me, and I want us to be together again, like how it used to be. The two reconcile and settle into the hospital for the night. Day 18 of the quarantine.
With the hospital functioning and Trish safe, Cole leaves and picks up a call from Moya. Tracking a couple of developments, Cole, there are rumors that a large-scale conflict may erupt between the cops and the Warren and the Dustmen. Look into it. Cole tells her he will as he moves forward, parkouring to a nearby rooftop. Cole hears a familiar voice in his head. It's the voice of Sasha. I can't believe you, Cole, running back into her arms. She's not a lover, not like me. Think of the things I could do. I am pleasure. Moya calls again as Cole ignores Sasha. The remnants of the 43rd Precinct have mounted an offensive against the Dustmen. My source says they're going to try and arrest Alden. Good, that psychopath should be behind bars. The battle's already started, so you better get moving. Your top priority is ensuring that Alden is captured. Once he's in custody, I'll send in an extraction team. Cole makes it to the offensive against Alden Tate. As Cole works the police against the Dustmen, he comes across a large metal golem. Its hide is that of junk metal. From its arm, it shoots metal debris at Cole. As the police make their way to Alden, Cole focuses on killing the golem. It fires at Cole, causing the lightning wielder to struggle against it. After several close calls, Cole is able to finally kill the golem. As he catches his breath, he hears a voice over the loudspeaker. Attention all units, Tate is in custody. En route to Eagle Point Penitentiary. Cole calls Moya to update her. Cops nabbed Alden Moya. They're taking him to the pen. I heard, and so have the dustmen. They're already rampaging through the streets of the war and shooting everyone in sight. Deal with them. Cole makes his way to the prison holding Alden. While along the way, zapping down dustmen. Zeke gives Cole a call. Hey Cole, just letting you know I'm over at the prison, helping out the cops. You kidding me? I thought you hated cops. Like you said, things have changed. Besides, any lawman that stays in this hellhole is a real deal. Gotta respect that. I'll catch you later. Moya calls Cole after he's done talking to Zeke. My extraction team is prepped and ready, but the military is dragging its feet with the clearances. Head for the prison and secure Alden until they get there. It won't be long before the dustmen try and break him out. Cole arrives at the prison and calls Moya. The dustmen are going to hit it with everything they've got. The extraction team is still 20 miles away. Do whatever it takes to keep Alden secure. Cole signs off and meets up with Zeke at the prison. The boys in blue need to move some lop to secure the prison. Gotta hold off the trash baggers while they make the move. What the hell is a lop? Prisoner, man. You know, a, a shank holder. Come on, get with the lingo. Oh, and check it out. The walkway up there is crackling with juice. Little thing I whipped up. Wow, nice. Damn right. The loudspeaker of the prison comes to life. Incoming fire. Get the prisoners to cell block D. Dustin begin to move into the prison, trying to free Alden. Cole fights back against them. Keep those things off us, Cole. Got all the lops moved over to the new cell block. That was good work, brother. Oh, hell, Zeke, get out of here. Run. No way, man. My guns are locked and loaded. These guys will kill you. Go help the cops lock up Alden. The loudspeaker comes on again. They've breached the wall to the yard. Man the turrets. We got old strapped to a box of springs back here. 500 watts surging through his sorry ass. Bastards out cold. Was that your idea? No, Warden came up with it. Had to figure out a way to keep Alden from using his powers. Luckily it worked. Dude, was bad news. If these guys flank me, they'll get the full brunt of it. Be ready, Zeke. We can't let them get Alden. I'm on it, brother. Crap on a stick. These trash baggers killed the power. You need to restart the generators on the roof before Alden wakes up. Alden's coming, too. Hurry up, man. The loudspeaker comes on again. Here they come again. Form a defensive perimeter around Alden. More trash baggers, brother. 
Better hightail it back down to the yard. Moya calls Cole during the fighting. The extraction team is nearly there. ETA, four minutes. Time for some payback, bitches. What the hell are you doing, Zeke? I told you to stay with Alden. That old man ain't going nowhere. I got him dressed up like a spring goose. After stopping the dustmen from infiltrating any further, Cole and Zeke run back to make sure Alden is still contained. Arriving at the scene, Cole reflects to himself. By the time I got inside, it was too late. The place was slick with gore. Poor bastards never got any backup. If Zeke kept his post, they'd be alive now. And Alden would still be in a cage. Not sure Zeke's ever going to forgive himself for this. Don't know that he should. That night, we could hear the screams from Tenth City. They were drunk on power, proud of their victory over the cops. Over me. Now the race fear seems further away than ever. Alden knows we're coming. He'll prepare. All right, I'm going to stop right there really quick. So, so Alden was captured by the police. The dustman ended up freeing him. And Zeke let down Cole... Uh, when he's supposed to help the police because Zeke seems to kind of want that glory that Cole's getting. It's a, lot, mm-hmm. a little bit of jealousy, it seems there. But uh, Ryan, do you think that if Zeke had run back to help the police, it would have changed anything? Or did he really let them down? Like, could he have stopped Alden from escaping? I don't know what Zeke could do that a bunch of cops or guards could do. Like, at least they have some kind of... I mean, he has a gun, but mm-hmm. they should have some... I, I, I just don't know if Zeke is any more capable than these guards or any of the prisoners, if anything, I feel like Zeke probably would have just died as well when Alden mm-hmm. got free. At least that's my thought. It, it, I, I don't know if there's anything else in the game that kind of alludes to the fact that maybe Zeke could have done more, but I, I, I don't see anything. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's really unfair <laughs> that Cole has uh, put all this blame on Zeke. Cause I feel like Zeke's just a dude with the gun. He didn't have, he doesn't have superpowers. So if he had just gone back, I think he would have just been slaughtered along with these cops. Yeah. Um, but Cole is very sure that Zeke, for whatever reason, would have stopped many dustmen from killing them, killing the cops and, and freeing Alden. So, um, or Alden freeing himself. I, I, it's actually really not specific if Alden frees himself because they kind of say that the power wattage holding him is uh, lessening or if it was the dustmen. It was really hard to tell. I kept going through the, the game and like trying to figure it out, but it didn't really make a lot of sense. So regardless though, I don't think Zeke could have stopped anyone in either situation. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really unfair that Cole puts all this on Zeke uh, personally. I, I think that if anyone should have gone back to make sure Alden was okay, it should have been him uh, while yeah. the police were handling the dustman. That makes way more sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But whatever. I don't know. That's just uh, what they had to do for the story. I guess I think it's a little weak. I think this is probably the weakest part of the story. Um, is the middle part here with Alden and, and everything with the Dustman. I think it's the weaker parts. The beginning and the end is much more solid, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is what it is. You know, you have, you have to have a middle. Sometimes it's weak. But, but it's interesting. I, I, I feel for Zeke because I feel like it's... If you were constantly with this friend of yours who had superpowers, who was living the dream, everyone loved him, and you wanted that feeling and you couldn't have it, I could see how jealousy could... could really seep into that it's it's actually really funny i'm playing spider-man miles morales and in the game miles has this kind of like psychic best friend named genki and genki's very smart and he is constantly infiltrating security systems and helping miles but he doesn't have superpowers but he seems very okay with it he's there's like no jealousy there he's just very supportive of miles and i don't know in the back of my mind i just feel like that would never happen in real life where someone wouldn't be jealous of of 
someone so close to them having these powers, and, but they did not themselves. You know, I think that jealousy would be really easy. Yeah, I know I would be jealous if I could. If my best friend could like shoot electrical powers and, and I didn't, I could. I would totally be jealous. Heck yeah, yeah. I'd be jealous. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't shower anymore, but I, I'd be jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it would probably take a very specific individual um, to not be. Um, either because they understand how difficult it is, but yeah, that would be really hard to be in that position. Yeah. And it sounds like also exactly. Zeke has had kind of a rough life in general. And he was hoping for kind of this whole quarantine to be kind of a reset to where he could maybe make something for himself. And then that just like, like most things in life, when you, when you think a big change is going to change who you are, ultimately you just have to actually do that yourself. A, a location change or a setting change isn't, isn't usually enough to do it. Unless it's like you're taking yeah. yourself out of a, a, a negative situation, I guess. Yeah. And actually, something I took out of the script because it was just, it was a part of a side mission and it was just, I think it was part of a side mission and it just was too much. Um, there was a part in here where Zeke was trying to uh, get with a girl that was stuck in the quarantine also. She's like a brother of a friend and he was trying to get with her and she turns him down and the next day she sees he sees her with a, a new guy, a new handsome dude and she totally ignores uh, Zeke. So Zeke is like, feeling down on himself about that. So like really he has nothing going for him. Zeke is just like, he's constantly referenced as the fat man. You know, he, he's, you know, has, he has like nothing. He has absolutely nothing besides Cole. But then Cole is much in a much better position. It seems like in his mind, he's in a much better position. Whereas Cole's like, I don't want these powers. I wish I didn't have this yeah. going on. You know, this sucks. So it's always like a grass is greener on the other side kind of situation. I feel like, mm -hmm. yeah. Day 19 of the quarantine. An upset Moya calls Cole. Where the hell have you been, Cole? I've been trying to reach you. Alden's gone, Moya. Transients busted him out and killed every cop in the prison. This is unacceptable, Cole. You had explicit orders to keep him in there. What the hell happened? Look, don't lay this on me. I did everything I could. Zeke is the one that blew it. I told him to stay back and help the cops, but he wouldn't listen. It's time to cut him loose, Cole. He's become a liability. We have no margin for error, especially with all the back on the streets. I'm going to make a run for the next substation and beat the hell out of some bad guys. As Cole goes to the next substation, Trish calls. Cole, I'm at the hospital and Zeke's here. He's really upset. Well, maybe he should check himself in for a while. It might do him some good. He keeps muttering stuff about the prison. What happened? He was supposed to help the cops keep an eye on Alden. Make sure he stayed locked up. But Zeke took off. And it all went to hell. Cops are dead and Alton's free. That's horrible. I know he means well, but this is serious business. People are dying and I can't protect everyone. Might be time for Zeke to take a seat on the bench. I'll see you later. After restarting the substation and exiting the sewers, Cole gets a call from an unfamiliar number. Cole, my name is John White. We need to talk. Johnson's Cole coordinates on his phone on where to meet. Cole arrives and looks around for the elusive man. John? You here? John? A helicopter quickly comes onto the scene, its loudspeakers turning on. John White, we're here to extract you. Please maintain your current position. You brought a chopper? I told you to come alone. They're not with me. I don't know who they are. Damn it. The loudspeaker of the helicopter comes on again. John, there's no need to run. We're here to help you. Annoyed, Cole calls Moya. Why the hell did you send a chopper? John took off. I didn't send anything. If it's the first sons, you need to get John before they do. Follow that chopper and don't let them out of your sight. One other thing. 
It looks like John is scrambling his signal because all that I get is static. I'm trusting you on this one, Cole. Keep me informed. Not like I got much of a choice. Cole follows the chopper as the aircraft searches for John White. Stand down, John. This operation's been terminated. Cole spots the chopper's searchlight shining down on John White. No one has taken me in. John shoots his gun at the helicopter. Damn it, John. Cease fire. We're here to get you out. Suddenly, a large piece of metal debris flies through the air and smashes into the chopper, destroying it. Cole looks behind him to see another of Alden's metal golems ready to attack. The chopper's gas tank lands next to the golem and it picks it up. Several injured people lie in the golem's wake. Why can anything be simple? Cole thinks to himself and ponders the decision he should make. That damn thing's gonna throw the chopper's gas tank at me. And even if it doesn't score a direct hit, the explosion's still gonna mess me up. I could shoot the tank now, use it to blow off the golem's arm. That'd make my life easier, but the explosion will incinerate all of those injured people. Knowing that he can't let the people get hurt, Cole takes the blast, caused from the golem throwing the tank at him. Damn, talk about taking one for the team. Destroy that thing. What do you think I'm trying to do? It's almost down. Hit it with everything you've got. Cole lays down several lightning bolts until he finally ends the golem. John? John? Hey man, it's clear. Cole looks around, but sees John is long gone. Great. I save his life and he bails. As Cole heals the injured, John calls him. We've got two minutes, 45 seconds, before they can triangulate my position. I plan on being gone before then, so keep your mouth shut and listen. I know you're not with the agency. Too indisciplined, too cocky. But I also know that you want the same thing I do. The race fear. You're going to help me get it. So you know where it's at. One of my UAVs spotted it on top of Alden's tower. Find someone to help you retrieve it. Someone you can trust. One minute, 52 seconds. What do you want me to tell Moya? Who the hell is Moya? Uh, your wife? You're getting played. I've never been married and I don't know any name Moya. One minute, 19 seconds. You're screwing with me, right? She's an FBI agent, just like you. FBI agent? Yeah, that'd be the day. I hate those bastards. You won't see me, but I'll know when you have the race fear. Once it's in your possession, we'll figure out how to destroy the damn thing. Cole quickly calls Zeke. He's the only one he can trust to help him. Zeke, you there? Hey. Listen, I really need your help with something. Matter of fact, you made it sound like I wasn't worth a damn. Look, we can't talk about this over the phone. Just meet me over by that big tower the transients are building and I'll fill you in. Cool? Sure, man. See you there. Cole meets up with Zeke by the massive trash tower made by the dustmen. Was a little worried you weren't going to show. So what's going on? The racer's up on the top of this tower. Once we have it, we're getting the hell out of here. You in? It's up there? Hell yeah, I'm in. Come on, we need to climb up this damn thing. Head over to the elevator, I'll figure out a way to bring you up. So how you track down the racer anyway? Ran to John, he told me it's up here. John? You mean Moya's husband? He says he's not her husband. Never heard of her. The hell does that mean? That one of them is lying. Just don't know which one. Damn it, Cole. I told you not to trust the feds. You ain't still thinking about turning over the race for him, are you? John says he wants me to help him destroy it. Seems like a good idea to me. Destroy it? Yeah, right. That's about my bottom dollar. He just wants to fire that baby back up. Or sell it off to someone with serious cashola. Climb on up there, Cole. We're running out of time. We ain't got all day. Cole, come on. Bring me up. 
Cole climbs the trash tower and helps seek up with a system of elevators, all while fighting with the dustman. You know, I really wish this had never happened to me. I'm nothing but a damn errand boy, same as before. Going where people tell me, when they tell me, and I'm starting to think that it's never going to change. No way, man. Once we get that race here, nobody will say as much as boo to either one of us. You can mark my words on that. I hope you're right, Zeke. I really do. Climbing up there, Cole. We're running out of time. The two finally make it to the top of the tower. What the hell is going on? There's no one even up here. I know both of you. Both of you locked me up like an animal. Tied me to that bed. Tried to electrocute me. I'll show you, though. You and those pigs. Alden waited safely in a metal contraption where the race sphere sat. Zeke, stay back there. When I get the word, you go for the race sphere. I'll keep Aiden off you. Let's do this. I know why you're here. What you won't. Nobody's taking that damn thing from me. My only way out of this hellhole runs through you, Alden. And by God, you're not stopping me. You're a fool, boy. Only seen what others show you. But you'll learn soon enough. Cole continues to fight off Dustman as Alden creates metal golems to fight. As Cole destroys them, he creates an opening for Zeke. Zeke, do it. Go. Zeke begins to pull the spear out of Alden's mechanism. Cole continues to fight off Alden's thugs that are attacking him. You really have a thing for trash monsters, don't you? When my tower is complete, I will be reborn. This tired old body will be gone, replaced with cold, steel, and concrete. Then my destiny. By God, I'll take what's mine. Damn thing won't budge. Need some more time. Keep it up, brother. Almost got it. As the fighting continues, a helicopter comes to the top of the tower. The man in white and the leader of the First Sons, Kessler, comes out of it. Kessler, you stole my childhood, my home. You dare come here. Poor, poor Alden. All that potential squandered. Your father would have been so disappointed. You dare mention my father. I'll kill you, all of you. Tear you limb from limb. Cole yells out to Zeke. Zeke, get out of here. Run. As Cole watches what happens before him, he reflects on the situation as it unfolds. Zeke yanked the race through out of its cradle and was caught between Alden and Kessler. It was definitely time to escape, but he just stood there, petrified. You see, through the fear, he realized that the key to his dreams, the tool to make him superpowered, was right between his hands. Zeke sets off the race sphere as a bright light envelops everyone. Asshole makes the choice to kill thousands, stealing their lives so that he'll be transformed. And then, nothing. Everyone's fine. No change at all. Kessler's first to grasp the situation. Claims to know what's wrong. If Zeke brings in the race sphere, Kessler will be able to give Zeke the power he craves. My best friend looks at me in the eye, and then makes his second mistake. Zeke runs to Kessler's helicopter and climbs in with the race sphere in his hands. Alden goes ballistic at the loss of the sphere. The tower shakes and starts to rip apart. Alden goes ballistic at the loss of the sphere. The tower shakes and starts to rip apart. I was just dumbfounded. Barely felt the impact. A large metal beam lands on Cole, knocking him out. When he comes to, it's nighttime. He's all alone. He gets a call from John. I told you to pick someone you could trust. 93 seconds. Zeke's my best friend, like a brother to me. He's about the only person I do trust, or did anyway. 
Well, you blew it. And now Alden's on a killing spree. And Kessler has the race fear. Need to resolve both situations. 63 seconds. Cole jumps from the tower and lands on the street below. I'm starting to think none of this is my problem. Maybe I'll just let these two slug it out and then swoop in and nab the sphere when this dust settles. What if one of them activates it and kills 10,000 people in the process? And who the hell knows what that Moya person wants with it? No, this is the only way. 38 seconds. You'd better be serious about destroying it. I'm in no mood. You have my word. Alden's heading into the historic district. Catch up to him. Take it out. Then look for Kessler. I'll be in touch. As Cole runs into more dustmen, he gets another call from John. Alden's staring across that bridge. Head over to the historic district. Stop him before he reaches the other side. I'm on it. Moya calls Cole. Cole, what the hell is going on? There's something wrong with your phone. Every time I try and call you, it gets disconnected. I don't have time to run tech support for you, Moya. Figure it out yourself. Later. Cole disconnects the phone call. He catches up to Alden on a massive bridge that's falling apart and it's on fire. I know you're back there, Electric Man. You won't stop me. No one will. Alden, this ends now. Cole catches up to Alden on the bridge. He can feel his anger swelling up inside of him. Everything has gone to shit, and he's sick of it. Alden was also in no mood, as several pieces of metal came together around him, turning him into a massive golem. Holy shit. Ignorant pissant. This is what my father wanted. Me, governing all I could see. My destiny will be fulfilled. You're like Kessler, craving what doesn't belong to you. None of you understand. See the truth, but I do. I see it all. Cole and Alden begin to fight one another. Lightning and metal fly back and forth. Cole is barely able to dodge the metal being thrown at him. It seemed like his lightning bolts were doing nothing to the metal monster. Ah, you ain't stopping me. This is my birthright, my destiny. You think you can hurt me? Nothing can compare to what I've endured, what I've survived. You and Kessler are one and the same. You've got some serious issues, you know that? Cole yelled at Alden. As Cole continued to fire a larger blast, metal of pieces flew off of Alden and his monster. Shot after shot, Cole took more and more metal plating off. Alden began to breathe heavier and heavier. The strain of the fight was getting to him. Cole didn't let up as he continued to fire lightning from his hands until Alden could take no more. Alden and his monster laid motionless on the ground. I'll kill you, that whore, and your thief of a friend. All of you. Cole reflects on what happens next. Alden no longer seemed like a threat to anyone. Just some old man howling about how Kessler had stolen his first son's birthright. Cole walked over to Alden, picked him up, and smashed him into the closest metal beam on the bridge. Then he changed his tune, claimed he wanted to work with me to get revenge, to join forces and kill Kessler. Guy must have felt my hesitation, because in that moment of indecision, he jumped. No normal man would have survived that fall, but Alden's a conduit. Same rules don't apply. Either way, this thing's coming to a head. My enemies are all gathered here in the historic district. Kessler's preparing them for the final battle. Yeah, this is the finish line. Just wish I didn't cross it alone. Let's stop here for a second. The conflict with Alden has come to a head. We are at the finish line of the game, the last district, which is the historic district. Uh, Ryan, how do you feel about Alden as a whole, and were you satisfied with that, that arc in the story? 
Um, I mean, Alden's an interesting character. He he seems the 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 place where it kind of falls a little flat for me is, I don't feel as connected to what Alden wants as I did with maybe some of the other characters. Like, um, what was the name of the Sasha? Like Sasha, Sasha was interesting because she kind of had this direct desire to to be to be after Cole yeah. and was like actively hurting the people in the city where Alden seemed to want something that I don't really fully understand he wants to be the leader of the second or the first sons that to me at least doesn't mean a ton yet yeah. um other than he wanted to be a part of this group that's important I think as a character he's interesting as this person has everything taken from him and then in this old age he's found a way to be incredibly powerful and fight for that um, but as far as Alden is a villain, I don't think he lands as well as Sasha, but I still think he's he's interesting and much more interesting than a lot of villains that we see. And um, I think forcing Cole to face this this character, who again is another extreme, right, of what these conduits can become. He he just wanted power. He wanted something so badly that he he would do anything he wanted to get get that. I think that's another good extreme to have Cole experience. Um, but I don't think it is. I don't think his desires meant or connected with me as much as Sasha's. And maybe it's just because there was more mystery with Sasha. Yeah, yeah. And the thing that actually really doesn't make a lot of sense as I was going through this, I realized that in the description of Alden and his kind of his timeline, um, he was kicked out of the First Sons as the like inheritor of the First Sons from a very, very young age. Like He looked like he was like five years old. Now he's a very, very old man. And the person that kicked him out was Kessler, who was an adult. But they look the exact same age. They both are very old men. So I don't know how these ages are lining up. I don't know how this is working. Because uh, I feel like Alden should not be as old comparatively to Kessler. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Um, maybe Kessler just looks more old because he's been growing up on the streets. And he's had a hard life. And he's not as old as he looks. He's, he's very decrepit because of the situation he was in. Which is totally possible. But yeah, I... Um, I think this is the weakest part of the story for me personally was, was going through the war and, and fighting Alden. I feel like uh, Cole throwing Zeke under the bus to Moya was uncalled for because, I mean, I don't know what Cole is expecting Zeke to do. Again, we talked about this already, but I feel like a lot of times Cole's perceptions are skewed, but I don't know why. I don't know if it's just him or the or just the bad situation. He's, he constantly just seems like he's in a bad mood. So like, I don't know if he's just like can't think straight or whatnot. Um, I think his only goal is just getting this race here and getting out and getting out with Trish and, and Zeke is his only goal. And, and he's just wanting to not be, I find that why not to feel like he's just being used by everybody. So there's a lot going on. I just, I don't, I think, I think it's fine that he feels the way he does as it kind of creates this tension with other characters, um, which is kind of necessary for any good story. But um, I do feel like sometimes it's, it's, uncalled, it's uncalled for. Yeah. I, th I think the strongest part of this arc, at least for me, the most interesting is that Zeke decision. I think that's really, that adds a lot of yeah. tension and drama. The one person that Cole trusted was so, he, he wanted power so much, even knowing what it did to other people he was willing to, and he, he, he explicitly tells Cole, I, that kind of went over Cole's head. He said, you know, once this is over, no one will get in the way of either of us. Right. And Cole's like, yeah, I hope so, Zeke. And then, and then he does the thing. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, I think that's just kind of that extension of Zeke that we're seeing this person who has gone through so much and has nothing going for him. He's he's desperate. And unfortunately, that choice that he makes, he I don't know if he fully understands the repercussions or he doesn't care. Um, but I thought that was a really interesting story beat that we're now we're taking everything away from Cole that kind of made him 
this kind of grounded person, which is interesting. Yeah, and I think that you could argue the parallels between uh, Zeke and Alden. Both are mm-hmm. desperate for power. Yeah. They both are yeah. very jealous for different reasons. But um, you see that jealousy can can really manipulate a person to do something that, that is not good for the overall populace. You know, it's very selfish. And this is where we see that kind of selfishness uh, maybe isn't such a good thing. You know, you're, you're, you're making yourself happy, which is always good, but you're doing it at the detriment of everyone else. There's this race where we would kill thousands of people to benefit Zeke. And while Cole, while this happened to Cole, it happened against his will. Whereas with Zeke, he was making that choice for himself, which I think says a lot about his character. Is he, do you yeah. think, before we move on, do you think Zeke is a redeemable character at this point? I can't see a way at this point he can redeem himself short of, I, I think, in, in, like sacrificing himself to save thousands of people, right? Like yeah. that's that's the only way you can balance that scale. He's willing to give up t- thousands of lives for his own. The only way you can kind of redeem yourself is if you flip that and he gives that ultimate sacrifice. But I, I don't know if Zeke is a person who could do that or if that's a situation he'll be in, but that's the only way I could see that scale being balanced. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I completely agree with you because like if you're that selfish enough to kill so many people what's the opposite of that that can redeem yourself um, yeah. I don't know I, I, I wish I almost didn't know anything about Infamous 2 but I'm not, not even alluding to that I'm not saying Zeke does anything I know I like Zeke more in Infamous 2 um, but now that I'm thinking Those about it I don't know if I still feel like he is even redeemed later on in the story mm-hmm. quite honestly so right. it's very interesting um, mm-hmm. it becomes even more interesting when you, when you learn more things at the end of the story I guess, like, the only redeeming... Like, luckily it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's one thing that, that makes it a little bit better. But the intention was still there. If you if you right. intended to kill tens of thousands of people, whether it was successful or not, that's still attempted um, mass, mass murder. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a convictable crime in society, right? That's a significant <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah. You have a gun, you pull the trigger, there's no bullets in it, but you intend to kill somebody, that's a significant thing. It's still, it's still not okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Zeke, I want to like Zeke, but he makes it hard to like him. Yeah, yeah. This, this this was huge. I mean, I think the other things were, like like you said, the prison situation was kind of like, I don't think there's anything Zeke could have done. Here, there's very explicitly something Zeke could have yes. done. Yes, yeah, but definitely. chose not to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He made, in the prison, he, I don't think he could have done anything, but here, he made a, quite the choice. I mean, granted, he's, he's stuck between Alden and Kessler who are coming towards him, and he's kind of like, uh, which maybe you can make an argument for why he pull the trigger on the race here but even like, that it's to protect myself maybe like they're to gonna protect yourself yeah. yeah yeah but even then that's a far stretch i think um if you're a true hero you would just you know do whatever you can to get to call or sacrifice yourself in order to protect her or, so, or something like, right. but he doesn't do yeah. either of those things so it's <laughs> not the case at all <laughs> yeah as cole crossed the bridge into the historic district he gets a phone call from john now that Alden's out of the way, it's time to move against Kessler. Strategically, though, he's got you pinned in the historic district. Head over to the 19th Street drawbridge and open it. That way, he'll have an out in case things go haywire. 20 seconds. Where are you going to be? I'll be where you need me. Five seconds. Heard that one before. As Cole began to restart substations in the historic district, he receives a phone call from the leader of the First Sons, Kessler. Our time together is drawing to a close, Cole. And I fear that you're still not ready to face what's coming. So I've decided to accelerate things. Evolve or die, as they say. Shall we begin? I know what Trish means to you, Cole. How much you love her. 
But we all have our part to play, even her. And that's why she's sitting here next to me. I planted a series of bombs across the city, each one of them on a timer. Fail to disarm any of them before they detonate and she dies. Desperate Cole runs, hunting down the bombs Kessler sprinkled throughout the historic district. Along the way, Cole fights against the gas-masked-wearing lunatic soldiers of the First Sons. They were trained soldiers and hard to stop. As Cole somehow managed to win against the First Sons soldiers and disable the bombs, he makes it to his last stop. In front of him are two identical buildings. From one of the buildings, Cole spots Trish tied to a rope dangling over the ground. The other building, five individuals dangle over the ground themselves. Cole! You bastard, Cole says into his phone. I've engaged the timer on the first bomb. You don't have much time. There's five people now. Five people that will see another sunrise. But I wonder, did you save them because it was the right thing to do? Or because you're trying to protect Trish? I've started the timer on the next bomb. It's amazing the things you forget. The smell of someone. The way their eyes light up when they're happy. Those are the things to cherish, Cole. Tick tock, tick tock. The final bomb is counting down, and it comes down to this, your final test. From one roof hangs Trish, the love of your life. From the other, six doctors. Think of all the good they'll be able to do, the thousands of lives they'll save. Which is more important, Cole? The life of one, or the lives of many? Bombs are attached to each platform. You have time to save one, but not both. Choose. Cole stares at the doctors, and then Trish. He wants to run to her so badly. He dashes to the building and begins to climb. The doctors dangle above Cole's head. He knows he has to save them first. Trish would want him to. She would hate him if he let them die. But that wasn't going to stop him from saving her, too. He was strong now. He couldn't let her down. Kessler continued to talk to over Cole's phone. Wish there was some other way that Trish didn't have to die. She's such a special woman. In these times of war, crisis, one must learn to ignore their feelings and do what benefits the whole, not the individual, no matter how painful. As Cole saves the doctors, a sudden explosion goes off behind him, and he watches as the love of his life falls several stories down to the ground below. She screams out his name. Cole! Trish! As Cole watches Trish fall to the ground, he reflects on what happens. Time slowed down as Trish fell. All my powers, and I couldn't do a thing. For a second, she sprung to life. Just long enough to say that she was proud of me, for what I'd become. Proud that I was helping people with my powers. And that she loved me for it. I buried her in the park, alongside the others who died since the blast. Kessler's gonna pay for this. I'm gonna find that sick bastard. And I'm gonna kill him. Day 20 of the quarantine. Cole spent the night in the park at Trish's grave. He gets a phone call from John. I saw what that Kessler put you through. Hell of a thing. Every minute that mad dog walks the planet, all of our lives are at risk. 75 seconds. Where the hell were you? If you'd only helped out, Trish might be alive. Nothing I could do. She was dead the second Kessler got his claws on her. 51 seconds. Spare me that crap. You just don't want to put your neck on the line. Expose myself to save one person? I don't think so. But I can help you get some payback. The power grid in the southern half of the island never got updated, so it still uses the old external substation. Turn on all three, and it'll restore power to the rest of the island. Fifteen seconds. 
and give myself a new power in the process. Exactly. Continuing to unleash his anger on the First Sun soldiers, Cole is able to bring power back to the rest of the historic district and gains a new power called Lightning Storm that allows him to summon massive bolts of lightning from the sky onto his enemies. As Cole leaves the substation, Moya calls him on his phone. Cole, we need to talk. I know what John's been telling you. I've got nothing to say to you, Moya. You've lied to me from the very beginning. I had no other choice. I had to make myself appear sympathetic. Get you to help me. The race here can't fall into the wrong hands. So what's your real plan? I find John and the spear, and then you take them and leave me to the wolves? I would have done everything I could to get you out of there. Goodbye, Moya. Cole discusses the call. He regrets ever getting involved with her. Kessler soon calls after. I saw what you did for Trish. Believe it or not, I know how hard it is to bury someone you love. Especially someone as special as Trish. Anger welled up inside of Cole. I'm going to kill you, Kessler. I'm going to tear you apart piece by piece. Yes, you probably will. In fact, I hope you do. I've been at this a very long time now, and I'm tired. Worn out. Won't be much longer now. With the power now restored to the district, John White calls Cole again. Just found out what Kessler wanted with Sasha. He's milking her like a damn cow, turning her mind control tar into a gas-based toxin. 41 seconds. Those two psychos are made for each other. Yeah, they're freaks, believe me, I know. But if Kessler succeeds in spraying the city with his toxin, he could take control of every person still here and send them after you. 18 seconds. Story of my life. Working with John, Cole travels throughout Empire City and destroys hot air balloons spraying out the black tar made by Sasha. After finishing, Sasha telepathically talks to Cole. This could have been so much easier for you, Cole. If you only helped me, I could have exerted control over all those people. Kept them from attacking you. But it's not too late. I can still be yours if you kill Kessler. While Cole continues to help John disable jammers and find the location of the race sphere, he annoyingly picks up a call from Zeke. Cole, come on, man. I know you're there. Please pick up. I've got nothing to say to you, Zeke. As far as I'm concerned, you killed Trish. If you hadn't taken off with Kessler, she'd still be alive, and we'd be out of this damn city. What do you want me to say? That I'm sorry? I don't want you to say anything. I want you to disappear. Because if I find you, things are going to get ugly. Cole stops the call before losing his temper. With the last jammer taken out, John tells Cole to rest. Cole goes back to the park to Trisha's grave. It's the only place he wants to be. Day 21 of the quarantine. Cole wakes up in the cemetery at Trisha's grave. John calls him. Looks like Kessler's keeping the race here in the old examiner building. Gonna be a bitch to get in, though. 78 seconds. So what's the plan? I've got a canister of fentanyl rigged to the bottom of the chopper. Shooting capacity everyone inside. Unfortunately, Kessler's got anti-air guns surrounding the building. And they'll tear me apart before I get into the position. 57 seconds. So I take out the guns, you gas those bastards, and we go in and get the sphere. Exactly. We only got one shot at this. Get over there and destroy those guns. As Cole runs to find the race sphere, Moya calls him. See those jets, Cole? They're hitting targets all across the city, preparing the way for a ground invasion. I warned you that if I lost control, they'd escalate things. You shouldn't have reneged our deal. You're not paying this on me, Moya. I already have. Cole is able to destroy the First Sun's anti-air guns, but the plan goes awry. The First Sun's take the race sphere and run to the nearby ship dock to try to escape. 
Cole runs after them as John follows in his helicopter. They can't let the race fear get away. The first sons wait for a boat to come and take them away with the race fear in their hands. This thing is running on vapors, so we've got to put it down. Get your ass down there and stop them. I'll follow you on foot as soon as I can. Cole continues through the docks, finishing off the first sun soldiers. John catches up to Cole as they walk up and find the race fear. You know, I had that thing in my hand once. Kessler asked me to hold it while he adjusted some cables during a test. I could feel it pulsing. Like something was inside, trying to get out. It's not right. And everyone wants it. That big lightning strike yours should destroy its protective container. Then we can blow the sphere sky high. Cole thinks to himself. Ugh. How many lives has that thing destroyed? Corrupted. I can't risk it falling into the wrong hands. But it gave me powers once before. If I used it again, it could make me twice as strong. And then no one would dare challenge me. Cole knows the race sphere needs to be destroyed. As frustrated as he is about being an errand boy for other people, he charges up his hands and pushes as much electricity into the race sphere. He reflects on what happens next. Trish's crumbled body flashes through my head. I think of Amy, Zeke, and I hit that sphere with everything I've got. But something goes wrong. The race sphere cracks open, creating a vortex of energy. John's pulled in, and it tears him apart. And I run. John and the race sphere are gone, reduced to ashes. Nothing went according to plan. But at least the race sphere is out of the picture. All right, so we're in the very tail end of this game. John has died. What do yeah. you think, Ryan? I mean, I... I think it's more important that the race fear is gone than that John died. John as a character was kind of this person in the background for most of the game. So I think him dying, at least to me, doesn't feel super substantial other than like, again, we've just lost another ally. Like another person who we had on our side is now gone. At least this person like followed through with what they were trying to do. Um, so, so that's something. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I guess I don't know enough about John to know, the significance of him dying other than he seems to have been he seems to have more information on what's going on um he apparently worked with kessler in some way um so that that must be how he knows so much but yeah i think i think for john's character it feels like a a a, a complete arc finish for him he his goal was to destroy the race fear he did it he died in the process but I, I don't know for him what that means but what about you yeah i i agree i i feel i feel bad for john as like he was trying to do the right thing but he ends up dying for it which i mean like he is like what i wish zeke would be you know he's very i think john is very i mean i don't think he meant to die in this situation but i think he would have if he needed to yeah whereas zeke was not to be that person um but yeah the race fear is gone this whole search for the race fear and it ends um with it destroyed you know if if cole had used it he would have gotten stronger for sure but he, he decides not to because he knows that Trish would have hated him for it. And he thinks of Amy, Trish's sister, and Zeke in that moment as he brings down the electricity onto the race sphere, destroying it. Um, so I think we're seeing a lot of that frustration of what this this thing has caused Cole in his life. It's kind of ruined everything for him. Yeah. Um, so now with it gone, all, all Cole has left is to face off against one more person. Yep. Um, and we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, and his his ride out is gone now at this point, right? Like he has no right. exit strategy anymore. So this is kind of it for him, as far as we know, because it sounds like Moya has effectively pinned it on him. Um, so yep. this is this is all all he has left. It's interesting because so many people in the city know the good things that Cole has done, mm-hmm. and they praise him as a hero. But it'll be interesting to see in the sequel how 
the ramifications of Moya Moya's pinning on him as as you know done to Cole yeah. on the outside of Empire City. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because nobody else knows the things Cole has done, right? Except the people mm-hmm. inside Empire City. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we see what. And yeah, I'm going too far. I get excited talking about it. Yeah. Casper comes over the phone. I'm disappointed, Cole. The Ray Spear was a catalyst of your powers, and it could have strengthened you even more, but you rejected it. I, for one, wouldn't have done the same thing. Well, I'm not like you. It took me a while, but I finally realized that this isn't about me. About what I want. Not anymore. It's about keeping the city safe. And once you're dead, no one will ever threaten it again. Kessler laughs at Cole's remarks. (laughs) That remains to be seen. Meet me at the Staten Building. Cole runs as fast as he can to the Staten Building. It was a sight where he first received his powers. All that remained was ruin and destruction. He walked up to the platform where he first woke up after the blast. Kessler quickly meets him at the same spot. And here we are, back where it all started. I was so worried that you weren't going to live through the blast, but you were fine. More than fine, actually. Cole thinks about the voice he first heard before waking up in the blast. I remember your voice now. You were there after the bomb went off. I've always been there, Cole. Every step of your life. The two begin to fight. Kessler shoots white lightning in his hands at Cole. It hits, and it hurts. But it doesn't stop Cole from fighting back. Your mother is ashamed of you. She lies. Tells people you're a teacher. No one respects a bike messenger. You're not going anywhere. (laughs) Cole continues to fire bolts of lightning at Kessler, ignoring his remarks. He wonders if it's even doing anything. Cole sends out heavy bolts of lightning at Kessler, and it seems that maybe it's wearing the old man out. The two meet head-on in a struggle. You're not worming your way out of this one, Kessler. You're weak of failure. All of this has been for nothing. Kessler puts his hand on Cole's head and shocks his system, causing Cole to fall to the ground. Suddenly, Zeke enters the ruins of the Staten building and fires his gun at Kessler. Get your hands off him. Cole, make a run for it. I'll take care of this gas bag. This doesn't concern you, fat man. Kessler sends a wave of energy at Zeke that sends him flying. Ah! No one's going to save you this time, Kessler says to Cole as he stands up. You're not going to be so glib when I ram my foot up your ass. Kessler was getting faster, flashing all around the ground. Cole struggled to land a shot on him. Where do you think you're going? That the best you can do? Your old man carried a picture of Trish in his wallet, telling people that she was the daughter he never had. Do you know that he couldn't wait for you to marry her? Cole was done listening. He was done letting Kessler ruin his life. He focused and followed Kessler's movements. He pushed as much energy out of his hands as he could, lending shot after shot. Kessler was getting weaker and weaker. The villain fired another blast of electricity at Cole, but Cole was able to dodge it. Kessler quickly moved to Cole and threw him back onto the platform he first woke up on when he had his powers. They struggled against each other once again, but Cole was was able to punch Kessler back. He summoned a lightning storm onto Kessler, finishing the old man off. You rotten son of a bitch! You bastard, die! As the lightning cleared and Cole looked upon 
Kessler on the ground. He reflected on what happened next. I looked down at Kessler, reveling in my victory. And then I heard him whisper, Trish, I love you. Please forgive me. And then he was on me, fingers digging into my face. As Kessler's secrets played out in my head, I finally began to understand. I saw his nemesis, a beast intent on extinguishing all life. In those early days, Kessler could have used his powers to stop it, but instead he fled with his family, leaving others to fend for themselves. Hunted for years, Kessler and his family watched as the rest of the world went to hell. And then it was too late. Too late to fight. Too late to save anyone. In that moment of failure and grief, he used his newest and most dangerous power. He went on a one-way trip back in time, attempting to rewrite history. Kessler seized control of the First Sons and accelerated the racer's development. Decades spent plotting the blast, organizing the quarantine, finding me. Yet the thing that drove him forward, Kessler's sole link to the past, was a picture from his wedding day, when he married Trish, with Zeke as his best man. My brain lurched, unable to accept that Kessler and I were the same person, that he had come back in time to mold me into the savior he failed to be, going so far as to kill the woman he loved, I loved, so that I could face the beast, so that I wouldn't be tied down by emotions. No, Kessler wanted me strong, ruthless, so that when I faced the beast, I'd be capable of making impossible decisions, all for the common good. And then Kessler fell back, dead. His final message, my final message, burned into my brain. I take one last look down at myself, my future self, and I turn away the rage curdling inside of me. I hate everything about Kessler. But when the time comes, I will be ready. The end. Alright, that's the end of the game. I will say too, there's an epilogue for this. Um, but I didn't want to say it. I feel like that ending there where, you know, Cole accepts that he'd be ready for this beast that comes is the perfect ending. But I will say the epilogue is... Uh, Specifically for the good ending is that Cole kind of reflects on how he wanted his life to go back to normal after all this, after the Kessler and the race fear were done. Um, but his life's never going to go back uh, because this, these powers will always be with him and they'll probably be a burden until he dies. Um, everyone in the city loves him, but he's not sure how long they'll ever last. Um, he wonders if they'll betray, you know, if, if people go against him, um, the first mistake he makes. Um, he has no idea who to trust. And he knows that, but he, Mo he knows that Moya is still running around doing things in the background. Um, and towards Zeke, he still has no idea. So he, he, he remarks that he's never felt more alone. And that's how the game ends after the epilogue. So the hero's journey truly is a lonely one, as we see in Cole's situation. Mm -hmm. uh, sure so, is. Ryan, as uh, yeah. after listening to the whole story, what do you think of the story of Infamous? Um, I, I mean, it's it's such a good story. I've forgotten so much of it, but the the twist at the end there, where you were put through all these trials so that you'd be ready for this greater evil that you know you and your past life because you had all these connections you failed to do anything about. Does that mean that he had powers in the past life as well? Well, in the in the future, he had his powers. He had gotten his powers somehow because because Cole always has the conduit gene. But how he activated his oh, powers. So eventually they manifest. Eventually they manifest, but maybe not in the same way or as powerful as a way as... as yeah, Okay, yeah. that makes sense. 
Um, but yeah, what a what a really interesting ending. It, the the whole time travel piece is is kind of out of left field. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea is really interesting that you've you've gone back to take away all these things that are important to you, so that you'll you'll be able to face what you have to face because obviously with all those things you wouldn't be able to, which is such a cool and interesting idea. Yeah, and I'm inter- I'm, I'm curious in in those in that comic that batman comic is there anything even close to this that they could be referencing or is this a totally original idea or is there have you ever seen something like this in comics before i don't think so i mean maybe but i can't think of anything off the top of my head i i, I don't remember i don't think no man's land has anything like that in it but i could be totally off yeah i'm thinking of the right one um but yeah no and it just makes you feel really sad for kessler in a way because like mm-hmm. he had to kill the woman he loves the most mm-hmm. i mean I mean, Kessler is a bad dude, but he's bad for the sake of being good, yeah. which is weird. It's a weird concept to think about. Like he, like as sad as it is for Cole to lose Trish, Kessler had to kill Trish in order to prepare Cole. So like, I don't know. And he had to make, you know, I, I don't know if Kessler's goal was to make Cole not trust Zeke anymore. Maybe he didn't want Cole to be tied down by his friendship with Zeke. Yeah. But like, but, but Kessler kind of gets what he wants from Cole. But Cole's never felt more alone. So he doesn't have any attachments that are going to make him do something selfish he's going to protect the city now because he is so alone in this thing yeah and it's it's been setting up these themes right so throughout the story cole has had to make these good choices that have, that have moved towards like worse outcomes for him but better for everybody else and that's effectively what kessler did too right he made these choices that mm-hmm. are harder for him and the current him but are and and also for other people but ultimately um are going to lead towards saving the greater good right it's that it's that that common or that that basic philosophy idea of is one life worth the many lives and what is that scale that you're balancing that he's kind of forcing you to explore here which is always really interesting yeah it's it's very interesting and how these two people i would i i wonder do you feel like these would you say these are the two would you say that cole and kessler are the same person or would you classify them as different people I, I mean, I, I think they, I would say because they've had different experiences, they're different people, right? Like Kessler had yeah. this happy life that was eventually taken from him, and then he made the choice to leave it behind to come here, whereas Cole has had a different experience. I mean, kind of similar to Soma, right? Where the the character in, in Soma, they had two different experiences. Like there's the one that stayed in Toronto that went on and had a life, and then there's this version of him in the future that had different experiences. So are those different people? I would say, yeah, these are these are two different two different humans, um, effectively. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I mean, like, he had to, yeah, totally different experiences. So it's, I don't know. It almost, it, it almost feels like it's understandable from Kessler's perspective. But then again, it's like, is it is it justified to do this to yourself? Even though you're, you, one could argue yeah, that's not yeah. really you. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, I don't know. It's very interesting. It's hard to understand. It's hard to really grasp it. I feel like in a sense, and I, and it wasn't really like touched upon a lot. You kind of put the pieces together, but inherently. I don't know where you learned this from, but inherently Sasha and Kessler had a relationship at one point. At one point, that's why why Sasha is so angry towards Kessler because he essentially breaks up with her and like pushes her aside. Because I think she was just an end to a means for Kessler, um, but she became very infatuated with him, which is why she loves Cole so much right from the get go. Because he and Kessler are quote unquote the yeah. same person. So in her mind, like it's just another opportunity to be with Cole. So. Or to be Kessler, I'm sorry. So, yeah, not super heavily talked about in, in the game. Is that like very obvious to put the pieces together? Um, but yeah, it's very interesting. I'm surprised that I think Kessler. I wish I knew if Kessler did it just to gain something 
or if he truly loves Sasha. It, I doubt he digs Zeta as a torturer right, right. later in the what, game. What so the... or in this game. So I don't yeah, think I'm, he did. I'm kind of curious. What was Kessler's goal with the toxin? Like, what was he? Was that just to push Cole to have to face him in that way, or what was his end game think, with with yeah. with what he was doing with Sasha? Right. Um, like, why was he? Why was he? Yeah. Creating that toxin. Um, what was the purpose? And maybe that's something we find out later. But I don't. I don't know. I imagine it's just to push Cole to be a, yeah. a, a hero, or you know what I mean. I, I don't. Yeah, it's almost like it's almost that like relationship between the Joker and Batman. Like the Joker doesn't want to like kill Batman. Like he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to stop Batman from doing his thing. He just wants to like his goal is to cause chaos, but make Batman a better superhero in some sense. And like and he says that in a comic too, or he says that somewhere. But he just wants to make Batman better because he his Joker enjoys doing what he does. So. In that sense, I mean, Kessler, I don't think Kessler enjoys this. Um, he even says a lot. He's tired. He doesn't want to do this anymore. But um, he, everything he does, it seems to like, kind of make Cole a yeah, better to push hero. him towards being more self selfless um, and selfish in the ways that yeah. mean are better for others. But um, because ultimately, then there's this there's this thing he's gonna have to face that's that's coming, um, which which is also right. like a really cool. Um, hook to leave us on for the next one, right? Like all of this was to get you ready for something even more powerful. That's such a really, that's a really cool story mm -hmm. idea to explore. Yeah, I'm really excited when we cover Infamous Two. It's I think a much better, well-rounded story compared to Infamous One. I think Infamous One was a good job, as a good start, but I think Infamous Two does a really good job, kind of giving more life to Cole, making him more. Like, they really put more effort into him. It's just, it's just more interesting, I think, that in that, yeah, I don't want to say too much. I really want to talk about it, apparently, because I keep trying to bring it up. But, um, but yeah, no, overall, I, I really like this game a lot. I think the story yeah. is a lot of fun. I would love to see a remake. If, I mean, it'll never happen. I don't think it's gonna, ever going to happen. But if they could remake this in current gen and kind of give Cole more of that personality that he has in Infamous 2, I think it would be oh, amazing. Yeah. I would love it. Yeah, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think Ghost of Tsushima has uh, ninja'd its way into <laughs> killing Infamous. <laughs> but you never know. You never know. Never know. I mean, first time didn't do. I mean, first time did okay, but I don't think it did as well as they as Sucker Punch and Sony wanted it to. So I don't know if Delson will ever come back the main character that one, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But overall, right before we move on, Ryan, did you have any other thoughts about the story? No, I mean, I I really enjoyed it. I think it's such a great story, and it feels like they if their goal was to capture this kind of like comic book scale story it feels like like a comic it feels like that superhero origin story but then it's like twisted in a really cool interesting way and then the fact that it, it does something that comics can't do right which is giving us as players agency to choose how the story goes in a really cool way but yeah it's it's a really great story a really great way to explore this kind of superhero medium in a way that not many games have kind of created their own superhero and explored that idea um, and this does such a great job in, in doing that yeah, I mean, and it's actually ironic too. Going back to that that prototype, infamous discussion. Um, you see prototype and how it handles its characters. I just I think it's done more, not as effective. I think you know they tried obviously, but like you you don't relate with the main character. That's right, the way you can with Cole. Mm -hmm. I think with Cole, there's a lot of things that happen to Cole that in a sense are relatable, like with Trish or with Zeke. You know, breaking up or having a fall with a best friend. Or having more responsibility that you can handle than you can handle, I think those are very relatable things, and that's what makes Cole such an interesting character in Infamous One, yeah. and it kind of helps build that relationship into Infamous Two, yeah. which I think is really cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love that twist. I love it. I never, I for whatever reason, I never saw it coming. I never thought about Kessler's powers until like Cole mentioned that they're the same person. I was like, oh my god, he's shooting lightning at me the whole yeah, time in that final, the final fight. I didn't even realize it. Yeah. But yeah, good story. Um. So yeah, storygoers, let us know what you think about yes. the story of Infamous. Please send us your thoughts, feelings, and perspectives at talesfromthecartridge at gmail.com. All of the E's are threes. Also, comment or DM us on Twitter and Instagram. Let us know what you think, and we will happily read those perspectives on our show. It'll be great. Um, next episode, next sun, next Monday. That's right. We're releasing on Mondays now. Mm-hmm. And yep, I, I put 6 a.m. Is that okay? Yeah, that's great. Okay, cool. I, I figured it was like before people get work. I thought maybe if people were getting ready for work, they put it in. Yeah, um, no, I was going to get ready for work. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, that's a great time. Next Monday, we will be having our last episode of Mario 64 for our bedtime stories. Um, and then the week after that, we are having our guest episode. We haven't announced what game we're doing yet, but you see a poll soon. Yeah, we'll probably put a poll out soon just so he can get they, they can get writing. Um, yes. To get all the things they need to, to get that script ready. So we'll probably have that. You'll probably have that. You'll probably see that before you see the announcement of, it, of this. So. Of this, yeah, probably. Yeah, right. <laughs> thank it's you for voting in the poll. <laughs> <laughs> if you voted, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you do, but you know, you're almost like Kessler. You're from the yeah. future. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're molding this podcast into yeah. being better. We yeah. appreciate that. Just don't um, kill our girlfriend. Yeah, I was gonna say. Like, don't kill our <laughs> <laughs> That'd be an awkward episode after that. It would be, yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah uh, thank you so much Storygoers for listening to this episode we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did and we will see you in the next episode bye bye